Hello and welcome to Nashville CA, your every other week, every single movie podcast uh, hosted by two guys who live across the country from each other. I am the Nashville component, Josh. With me, as always, is uh, the CA component, Sean. How are you today, Sean? I'm doing great, but I didn't know we're covering every single movie. Every single movie! I'm really glad that there's only like 24 movies released in a year, so that way we're not (laughs) falling behind. Yeah, we're doing great, especially with our uh, hiatuses. Hey, I don't even know when this episode is going to come out, because we we have stuff in the can now. Yeah, we've we, never been this we've never been this far ahead and like it, it's been about two years since yeah. we've had this much pre-recording done. <clears throat> We're doing great. We are off to a flying start in the new year. We are. We're we're obsessed with AI this year. <laughs> it's all we can think about is AI, apparently. Uh I was trying to come up with another uh what else AI could mean. Uh, we could watch an Allen Iverson biography after this. God damn it, you don't know sports, and you don't know who that is. <laughs> he's, he's a basketball he's, player. He's, yes. For, for the Suns? Is that a team? Uh-oh, see, now, see, now you're, you're exposing my lack of uh-huh. basketball. I think he was uh, Atlanta Hawk, I believe. Allen Iverson. I believe. And he was also the answer? No. Nicknamed the answer, correct. Hey, the answer. There you go. 76ers, Denver Nuggets, Pistons, Grizzlies, 76ers. Oh, wait, shit. I said Atlanta. Damn, it was Philadelphia. Embarrassing. I mean, for Uh, for you, those cities are very close together, though. Like, relatively speaking. Geographically, anything east of Colorado is just kind of a blob in my brain. I think uh, that's fair because the entire uh, West Coast is just the West Coast. That's that's good. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, uh, and that's how we like it. Don't come out here. Oh, Leave but us alone. Oh, but I'm gonna. That's the thing. When? I don't know. Maybe this summer after uh, my big Walmart show. I'm thinking of going. To the east at some point. This oh, year. good. We can do uh, the holiday. Yeah, you want to switch houses? Yes. <laughs> That'd be fun. You can uh, deal with all these children. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's a complete package. Oh, I just okay. get to live in your house alone. <laughs> got it. I don't want your kids. That's fair. What are we? Uh, what are we talking about today? We're talking about AI, Allen Iverson, uh, the actual intelligence that goes into creating artificial intelligence. These, so yeah, following up with uh, after watching her, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's what caused this, but um, so many people have told me that while the creator isn't a great movie, it's a really interesting one Mm -hmm. and like the world itself is interesting and i was so curious what this was gonna be and i had no idea what it was gonna be and i thought it was going to be weirder than it is based on the fact that it's ai i thought it was going to be some kind of 
fourth wall breaking movie where it starts with the definition of Nirmata, which is the the god that creates AI. I thought this movie was gonna somehow we the audience were going to be the creator, and this is going to be some weird mindfuck spin of a movie about what we do as an audience in like creating stories. And I had all these like really grand big ideas of like what this could be. And it's a cool movie, but it's not that at all. Uh, so are we launching into creator? Is this, is this our order creator than ex machina? I guess so. I okay. watched creator first and then ex machina. Yeah, I did too. I don't, I don't really feel strongly about starting either way with this one. I, I do you? No, let's go in, uh, yeah, reverse chronological order here. Um, so you were expecting like the Brian De Palma version of this, where like we're implicated as viewers as part of uh, what we're seeing on screen and what, what is playing out. Yes. Or, you know, at the near the beginning of this movie, when it shows that explosion that kills his wife supposedly and then he survives it i thought that was going to be like a reset of the story as far as us as the creator like that's one of the storylines that could have been told but that's not a satisfying mm -hmm. story so now we're going back and we're going to tell a different version of this story and i something like that or like how like AI would tell a story by writing every version of a story and then slowly like whittling it down. Um, but it's nothing like that at all. But I had big ideas or there's uh, resol the movie Resolution by Benson Moorhead. Mm -hmm. Kind of in some ways maybe very openly explores that idea of um, the viewer like being a part of that world uh yeah tangent uh i mean that's a lot of what benson and moorhead do and but they do philosophical sci-fi and especially with uh something in the dirt from a couple of years ago i feel like you know they go through those different i mean spoiler alert for that but there's different branching threads of how that story could have played out but gareth gareth edwards uh, who is not Garth Marenghi? Who's the other one? So, yeah, so we have <laughs> Gareth Evans, who's... Garth Evans. Our Raid 2 guy. Yeah, yeah. And we love Gareth Evans. Garth, and Gareth, Garth Evans. Gareth... I think he's a Garth, this is a Gareth. But it's, they spell it the same. What? Well, anyway, while you look it up, uh, the Raid 2 director has a new movie with Tom Hardy coming out soon. And I'm both excited and a little cautious about that. I really wish it was just another Indonesian action movie starring, uh, Oh fuck. I can't remember his name. Uyas. But, um, anyway, am I right? Is it Gareth? It must be because I looked on letterbox for Garth Evans. Garth Evans is a composer for softcore uh, male porn films. There you go. So now my algorithm is, uh, it's, it's <laughs> opening up. Let's just let's put it that way. 
So anyway, this is directed by Gareth Edwards. And um, the movie that I first saw of his is Monsters. And I believe the story with Monsters is he made that movie on a really small budget. And it's about aliens have landed on the planet and they're these really weird giant kind of Cthulhu-esque tentacly big aliens and a journalist guy has to go into Mexico and he and this woman are trying to get back through like this demilitarized zone back to the United States and so it's just them on the road going through this new world where there's these new beings and so it, it felt very similar in some ways to the creator where we have uh kind of a rescue mission and then we're trying to reach a destination and we're in a new world now where there's this new threat of in in monsters it's aliens and then in this one it's ai but then in both movies by the end of the movie there's also this resolution that creatures aren't like necessarily just like evil with mal like malintent there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more nuance and uh reason why violence happens um yeah it's kind of like he's treading a lot of the same uh ideological things over and over again but through these big i mean monsters was like half a million dollar budget, but Godzilla rogue one and the creator, uh, all kind of have it. He's, he's working in a similar realm and his budgets just keep getting, well, the creator's a small budget. So, I mean, relatively speaking, I don't remember his, Oh, I think his Godzilla movie might've annoyed me because that might've been one with too much family stuff. I don't remember. Too, oh, too, many Cranston. People. too many people? I don't people remember the it. Cranston one, but um, I liked Rogue One. As far as Star Wars movies goes, that's one of the better ones, in my opinion. I saw that yeah. in the theater, and that was one of the few ones where I walked out of the theater. I was like, damn, that was good. Yeah, I kind of feel... Uh, I just recently watched it, and it might be my favorite of the new, newer stretch. Maybe going back to 1997. <laughs> Uh, I think it is for me, yeah. aside from the the original trilogy. And even then, I don't know. I haven't watched those movies in so long. Um, but so he has a heavy special effects background. Mm -hmm. And I think it really shows because this movie looks on a special effects level, I thought, outstanding. Oh, yeah. The uh, I mean, it's ILM doing the effects along with a whole bunch of other people. Um, I think Weta workshop was in there as well. Uh, and there's another, there's a couple other ones that I recognized from the, from the credits. Um, but also the, and you can track this down. There's like lots of cool breakdowns on filmmaking YouTube about the, the cameras that they shot this on are like super, uh, attainable cameras for most any filmmaker. It's like a Sony, uh, Sony FX3 is what it is. Uh, yeah, it's like a sub $4,000 camera that they shot this thing on. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. It, um, I mean, obviously when you go to whatever country they went to 
uh, whatever Southeast Asian mm-hmm. beautiful country. It's it's hard to make it look bad, but uh, uh, there's a lot of really beautiful shots in this, and uh, the I thought, and it's something I haven't seen before in movies, surprisingly, but that the targeting systems using blue lasers coming down from the sky mm-hmm. looked so cool, both with the giant one from the Nomad ship, but then also at another point there's that boat chase, and you see all the little crosshairs yeah. going out and locking on the boats, and uh, that was just a really like unique presentation of sci-fi weaponry that I haven't seen. It's a very video game. Yeah. And but the targeting was almost like something out of um like StarCraft. You know, where like a yeah. uh one of those st- strategy type games. I was kind of thinking of um like Ace Combat when I play and you lock onto multiple targets on the ground from your jet cockpit and so you have a bunch of little like crosshairs that move and then change color when they're locked on and mm-hmm. um or command and conquer there's a giant laser beam weapon the ion cannon that you can get if you play as gdi and that kind of is in there there's as we go forward with this movie uh i i i hope i listed them as i spotted them i think i mostly did but there's so many other movies and other movie moments like smushed into this movie it's it's kind of funny how in a movie about ai this feels like what an ai (laughs) action plot would be of just smushing all this stuff together from other movies yeah i don't know that uh who who wrote this was it um yeah chris white and gareth evans yeah it was yeah evans and uh chris white's known for american pie <laughs> that's like the big one that i remember him from uh oh really yes super weird but also looks like he did some twilight movies and some other stuff uh he did he did rogue one which makes sense that's where they got hooked up together. But, um, yeah, I don't know that Edwards is like, he's, uh, he's a synthesist, synthesist, like, you know, taking all these other tropes and throwing them together and kind of making, trying to make something, uh, kind of a little classier. I felt like with the titles and everything and the music, this felt like a movie that was trying to be classy. Are we, are, have we gone overboard with title cards and movies in this modern day? Mm. Every movie has title cards now in between scenes. And it, it's like every movie either has like chapter one, <laughs> the mother, or like chapter. Oh, it's, it's, it's a lot. I just. Are, are you thinking that just because both of these films feature them pretty prominently? Both of these do, I think, uh, oh, The Killer does, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that's based off a book. Um, there's just tons of them. Uh, Sisu, but I love Sisu. Have you seen Sisu yet? I haven't seen Sisu. I thought that uh, maybe I was saving it for what we do. 
Oh. Yeah. Okay. Well, because we, we well, talked about it a little bit. That's a possibility. Put a, book, put a bookmark in that. Uh, I just, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of title cards in movies these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, Green Knight, I believe that had one. Yeah. Boy, talk about a movie that had, like, it was, re- it had such huge buzz. And then I think everyone saw it and then everyone was like, well, let's never discuss that again. Yeah. Um, which I I dislike because I quite enjoyed that movie. I want more. I liked it, but I didn't. I used to know, like from high school, the story of Gawain, Gawain and the Green Knight, but it had been a long time, and so I didn't remember any of it. And that movie does not provide a lot of context for the story beats that happen, and so it just kind of felt like a weird medieval trip just kind of a weird weird movie weird visuals and and i i don't know it was interesting i saw it in theater and dev patel was good but uh yeah i remember i went and watched it but for me i class it next to the northman and i know that's not your the northman wasn't so much your jam but it was like a cool modern day retelling with like uh updated visuals and effects of classic stories. You should uh, make note of that. That's a good double feature. Cause I, I would, I would like to go back and look at both of those movies again and familiarize myself with the stories that each is based on before watching both of them to then give them another shake. Cause both of those movies on a production level and an acting level are really something special. And it was just the stories that I had some problems with. Mm -hmm. It's a good double. I like that one. Yeah, I like that. Um, So, oh, and uh, this movie stars John David Washington, who, uh, his second line of dialogue, I'm like, God damn, he sounds just like his dad. (laughs) Yes. It's like five words into this movie. I was like, oh my God, he sounds like Denzel. But uh, also like Denzel, I find the dude just magnetic, like in this and Tenant, like he made most of Tenant worth watching for me just because he's he seems charismatic all the time. Uh, I like him a lot in Black Klansman. Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, I actually first saw him back when I watched Ballers before I decided that that show sucked. But in, during the time that I watched him on that show, uh, he was really good on it. And I, I agree. He's inherited his dad's charisma. And um, I, I like him in pretty much anything that he's in. So I'm excited to see him. I was also always excited. I'm always excited to see uh, Ken Watanabe. Yes. He's, he's a guy that just has so much screen presence in anything that he's in. And I've always dug his performances. Uh, but this cast, I like, I kept making notes because, uh, John David Washington, Ken Watanabe, I was like exclamation points, Sturgill Simpson, uh, who I love, uh, was in it. Allison Janney as like a bad guy. I thought that was a really cool Allison choice. Allison Janney was surprising to see. <laughs> and, uh, 
she looks great because I I the last time I saw her acting was I don't know sometime around whenever I watched CBS last with my mom <laughs> or maybe maybe it was Juno I don't it's been a long time since I've seen her and uh, yeah she looked great and uh, I totally bought in on her performance yeah I like how she comes in as almost a comforting presence and then. And it's like you get her where she's coming from as a character through the whole, through the whole thing, which I thought was really cool. It's like she's not just a paint by numbers with with no depth. No, she's a little bit more layered. But then I also liked that we got uh, Ralph Innocent, Chris Finch from The Office, and the dad from The Witch. Oh yeah, the man, the man who talks. He has the deepest voice in the world. <laughs> Uh, he's, he's kind, I wish he had more to do. He's just kind of the bland military officer who is just the strict, no nonsense, borderline, maybe kind of fascist, big government smash the little guy kind of guy. I wish he had a little bit more that he could have played around with, but, uh, I was excited to see him too. Um, back to Sturgill Simpson for a second. I could have sworn that there's a dude in the beginning who, uh, is with us through like maybe the first act or so, uh, and then unceremoniously dies in a truck who I thought was Sturgill Simpson. And then like 40 seconds later, you go to Sturgill Simpson's house and I'm like, this is the same looking dude. I thought they were clones or I thought he, one of them was a simulant of the other. Nope. Two totally separate guys. They just both look very similar. You got a white man face blindness, huh? (laughs) Yes, Timothy Oliphant and Josh Duhamel look the same. Sturgill Simpson and this other dude look the same. That's that's ridiculous because (laughs) Timothy Oliphant is just Timothy Oliphant. He's been in so many movies and shows that you you must have clocked his face by now. But he looks like Josh Duhamel. Oh, jeez. Um, and also, uh, we should talk about the youngest actor. I just checked. This is her first performance ever, it seems. Uh, Madeline Yuna Voiles, mm-hmm. who plays Alfie. And, uh, boy, kids, kids are always a gamble when you put them on screen, especially in a big role. Mm-hmm. I thought she did a wonderful job. I did too. There's moments towards the end of this where I was really impressed and the connection between her and John David Washington um, seemed real and like the emotion felt real and um, it was, it was really good. Yeah, I was, uh, which I'm always, you know, sensitive. I'm, I'm a sensi. It's just the way I am. But uh, lately, movies have been really getting me, like the past couple of weeks, and I don't know what's up with that. Maybe my, I need to get my meds adjusted or something. But towards the end of this, I was like, I wasn't crying, but I had the like the tracks coming down because because when it would show her face and she's like heartbroken that her surrogate father is like or actual, however you want to classify it, uh, is is gonna sacrifice himself. It it got me. 
I, I, I can tell you why you're extra emotional. Oh, yeah? I don't know if I can reveal it, though. Oh. All right. The, it's the shrooms. Is it the shrooms? Yeah. 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 For sure. <laughs> 100%. Because uh, the first time I ever got, I'd ever tripped, and then I got home from a backpacking trip, it was in the following weeks where... I just started crying at TV and movies. I'm like, what? What is happening to me right now? And uh, yeah, no, they uh, they tend to just open up some emotional pathways for a lot of people. So that's, uh, that would be my guess. I've had three people comment, uh, and only two of them knew about the shrooman, about my tea. Uh, that, but three people have mentioned you seem really happy recently. Hey, that's cool. Yeah, some version of, like, I'm peppy. It's nice uh, to get positive acknowledgement from people just randomly like that. Yeah, makes me feel uh, like a human amongst people. And not a robot. Not a robot. Okay. Um, And let's see, the overall design of this world, I thought, I really dug it. I like the future cars. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was interesting how they made the human police and the AI police almost have the same head structure and helmet structure. Mm-hmm. To It's hard to differentiate with the police who's human and who's a robot. And I, I thought that was a cool choice. And overall, all the costumes and design and everything I thought was really interesting. And I was surprised... That they went to Nepal, uh, I think that's where a lot of this takes place. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was cool to integrate a lot of flowing robes and all that kind of thing into the costumes. I thought the uh, both like the simulant and the regular robot design was really cool. Uh, what I really appreciated is in all of his movies, uh, Edwards creates scale. So, like, when you see those big ships, they're huge. Like, they feel big. That targeting reticle on the ground, it just feels uh, enormous and, like, oppressive. Like, you're not going to get away from that thing. And the later, when you get to, like, the, the car chase that happens, it feels like big hunks of machinery. It doesn't feel like a Transformers movie where everything's kind of weightless. It's like when the car like spins around, you're like, Oh shit, that feels weighty. It feels like it's going to smash into something. Yeah. When she takes control of the ambulance Mm -hmm. and it crashes in that tunnel. Um, And like you said, with this one, as opposed to his previous, his first movie monsters where he did it himself, he had ILM and Weta and some big studios. Um, But I still think, it really shows when you have a director who has a special effects background because they tend to shoot those movies in ways that then allow the special effects to be good as opposed to, uh, I don't know, just it's so many movies nowadays. People blame the artists or the, the crunch because there's way too much special effects throughout like the Marvel universe. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also just think it's, a lot of times comes down to directors who may not have that background and that expertise. 
Yeah, like Sam Raimi spent years with practical physical effects, like perfecting what he does, and then you give him a uh, what is it, Doctor Strange movie to shoot on the volume in green screen or whatever, and yeah, it looks flat. Like it looks like people acting in front of a backdrop for the most part. There's no depth to it. I I've never seen Doctor Strange, but I know it's he can tap into all sorts of universes or timelines or mm-hmm. some shit. Like imagine if you gave Sam Raimi a hundred million dollars worth of practical effects mm-hmm. to do a bunch of really weird shit with what what that movie could have been. That's it wouldn't it just wouldn't have fit in their grand scheme of every movie has to tie into this movie with this bullshit to introduce this villain who's then going to fight these people two movies from now in his own spin-off show <laughs> I'm not even a fan I I don't need to rant about it I'm sorry Marvel fans I'm sorry you guys get dumped on all the time now you it's like they had their peak with like Avengers and Endgame and mm-hmm. everyone's like riding high and now they're on the other side of the trough and the roller coaster has gone downhill and now they're all just getting dumped on. Yeah. And I I still want those movies to be good, but they've become like digital soup. It's just you know what? That's giving soup a bad rap. I just had some bean <laughs> soup before this and it was fantastic. I had bean soup too. Oh, nice coffee. <laughs> that's like that's like one of your old jokes. <laughs> oh, you. <laughs> um, the oh, I thought it was really cool that at the beginning you don't know he's undercover, but very quickly, like they don't tease it out. It's like all in that cold open. There's so much that gets dumped and then they don't have to do it later, but it's all through like action and the, the plot and action is still moving forward while you're getting the exposition. Both these movies start really fast. Um, This movie does, you know, it's, it, we have to set the world and it's, it's a little, I'm sure there's a cooler way to do it than like a newsreel montage of showing us the AI world, but I, I didn't mind this one mm-hmm. of just giving us a 90 second newsreel edit to get us completely caught up in what where we exist, so that way we can jump straight into the story and not need to have everything explained to us. Yeah, it's like it uh, it short circuits dealing with a lot of the the practical stuff of the world and we can get into his character, which is where you want to be. Because if you don't follow him, if you're not into him, when he meets Alfie, you're dead. Like you've got no connection there. And that's the rest of the movie is it, it's them. Um, so yes, his wife was a, uh, working in like the AI with the AI, there's an underground of humans who are allied with allied with AI. Uh, she finds out he's a traitor. She gets blown up at the start. Five years later, he's lost an arm and a leg, I think. Mm -hmm. And the army shows up and like, 
We need your help. Your wife is still alive. You're the only man that knows the layout of the lab. We need to blow it all up. And so that's like, we're just kind of jumping straight back into it. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Allison Janney is introduced to us and she's one of the military kind of officers. And we we get that little side story that her son was killed when he fell in love with an AI at a bar, but it was just like a bait AI woman who then lured him into a trap and then he got jumped and murdered. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, what I mean. Like she's got reasoning. She's got depth to her, to her character. Not just, you know, she's not just following orders. It's like, there's a personal stake and reasoning behind what she's doing. It's, it's it's enough of one. I mm-hmm. I thought this movie did a decent job. I guess both siding, yeah, both siding <laughs> a bit. Uh, and oh, and humans have this giant ship called Nomad that is going to blow up all the AI labs. But the rumor is is that now the AI have a weapon that can blow up Nomad, and. This is humanity's last shot, is this weapon. And so now we're going to go and uh, infiltrate the base and uh, kill the weapon. And uh, you know you're on the good guy's team when uh, the first thing you do when you show up to a village is the beardy ginger guy holds a gun to a puppy's head and screams at a little girl. And that's... (laughs) There might have been... Slightly more subtle ways for this movie to introduce the idea that uh, maybe the government is not the good guys in this movie. Yeah, uh, it's a real ACAB moment, right? Like, like, oh no, you're threatening a child and a dog at the same time, essentially. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> it's, it's just like that whole save the cat concept is like... Okay, I, I believe the, the equivalent of save the cat is don't kill the puppy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, um, oh, and then, <laughs> so they infiltrate the base. <laughs> oh, it's a facial scanner. And a guy's like, oh, no problem. <laughs> he gets his knife out. He's like, oh, cool. I get to cut someone's face off to scan it. It's just like, what the f- what the fuck is going on in this right now? The uh, it there's a long line though because just having watched uh, Demolition Man, right? It pops the, yep. the dude's eyeball out to uh to use the scanner, and then there's the same thing in um you know the Spielberg um oh uh Minority Report yeah Minority Report. Oh, God, that part in Minority Report where he has his eyes, his new eyeballs, (laughs) and he's reaching around in the fridge. And, of course, there's a really nice sandwich and really fresh milk. (laughs) And then there's a green mold sandwich and green mold milk right next to each other. It's like Peter Stormare, like, left a trap for him in the refrigerator. (laughs) Why would you even have that? I don't know. I don't know. Just, I just, for laughs, maybe. 
Seems like a prank. Just for uh, shits and giggles. It's great. So when they're attacking the uh, science base, uh, I thought it was cool when the lady has that mortar thing when all the cop cars show up mm-hmm. and she launches a bunch of rockets vertically out of her little van. Um, and then there's a gigantic vault door that opens and John David Washington meets Alfie, who is the embodiment of this AI super weapon. But uh, giant vault doors, very satisfying to see. There's just something very cool. so cool. I was like, yes. Agreed. Totally 100% agreed. Um, so let's see. Oh, yeah. So then the scientist. Oh, when one of the scientists yells at them through the translator. Uh, go make love to yourself and go make love to your mother. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty it's good. Fun. And then uh, the scientist locks, one of them survives and locks the vault and says, go find Nermada and John David Washington and Alfie uh, go up the ladder together and escape out a hatch. And uh, I still don't quite understand Nermada. We'll, maybe as we go along, we'll figure it out. I'm yeah. still kind of curious. I don't think I quite tied that ribbon together okay okay i think that i have it but it might be my concept might not go far enough if that makes sense but it comes up later um how many times uh do you see like when they're doing testing on a kid this exact same kind of setup in a lab there's like they make the bare minimum effort to make it uh, like cozy or or sweet for a kid, uh, and then you got a TV, you got a chair, you got like a blankie, and that's it. Oh, and God forbid we get a Hanna Barbera or something other licensed cartoon. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's always some fair use random bullshit cartoon from the 1960s, which is like Polish new uh avant-garde <laughs> cartoons with weird animation and weird music and no dialogue it just what are we doing uh it's like that simpsons where they have to show the the russian cartoon <laughs> cartoon <laughs> can we just can totally we nonsensical some, some scooby-doo or some wacky racers oh yeah oh i loved wacky racers uh jabberjaw who jabberjaw the shark with uh it was like it was like a Scooby Doo type thing, but Jabberjaw. He was a big goofy shark bl- guy. I don't believe you. Okay, next next episode we're doing a Jabberjaw Wacky Racer Wacky Racers double feature. <laughs> um, let's see here. Oh, now we get the helicopter lands and they're all going to take off, but uh, the lady gets shot with a a sticky time bomb. And uh, this is kind of a devious weapon. It also reminded me of Halo, when yep. you'd stick someone with the plasma grenade, and then a few seconds later it would go off. Um, so the helicopter blows up, and then Nomad drops a giant bomb. I thought it was interesting that it looks like, is Los Angeles at the very start of this movie? It do- I don't think they use any nuclear weapons, do they? Throughout this movie. It's all just giant explosion base. 
Mm, yeah, I guess so. It, uh, but calling back to it's a bunch of other movies. That's that's Terminator Two, right? Big time. This okay. movie has a lot of T two. Okay, all over it. Yeah, it, uh, even the, because the color palette of this movie is like warm uh, in the home scenes, and then kind of cool for the rest of it, and very lush tropical stuff. And there's one shot of like fire burning through buildings that looks like the super tobacco tinted T uh, two stuff. That I watched T two. We had that on VHS, and I was young. Like I don't mm-hmm. know, nine, ten, probably something around then, and loved the movie. Hated the scene where she's standing outside the playground and the nuke goes off, uh, holding to the fence, <laughs> screaming. Yeah, hold. Oh, I that was that was one of the few scenes in the movie that I did not enjoy watching. Uh, so you were young enough to be perturbed by that, and uh, not old enough. Like that puts you in the pocket where you are not put off by Edward Furlong's acting, apparently. Oh, he was cool. <laughs> Edward Furlong was <laughs> badass, dude. He was hacking ATMs to get money to go to the arcade. That was so cool. Also, one of the greatest deaths of all time, T2. <gasps> oh, that guy sitting there holding... Oh my god, it's amazing. <laughs> There's we have a really good death in my opinion later on in this episode too. Not to jump too far ahead here, but um what happens next? After the Nomad drops a big bomb, we get the child title card. And where where do we go from here? Um my next thing was that the uh is that where they talk about the difference between uh, going into standby and turning off. Um, it's it's something around here, yeah. Yeah, where uh, it's very much a when they explain to Johnny Five, uh, like he smashes the grasshopper or whatever. He's like disassemble, dis like that's the logic that he's dealing with this kid. And then you realize that the kid is way smarter than that. <laughs> like yeah, the the ideas of heaven and hell come into this in the afterlife and what makes a good person. Like, okay. Okay. I see what we're talking about now. Uh, yeah. And, uh, when the guy in the back seat later dies, Jan, he just says off mm-hmm. death. And, um, Janny on the radio or something tells him that he needs to kill the child. Um, and then, um, there's a big attack. Oh, this is where the police attack. They're in that nice little resort in the jungle there. Mm-hmm. And then we get the big police attack. There's a real weird comedy beat where they throw a grenade in the house. And then a dog is like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to play fetch with you and runs the grenade back to the police robots uh-huh. and blows them up and then stands on top of the hill. Like triumphantly, <laughs> that was very strange. That uh, moment, I was so tense. I was like, "Is is that dog gonna blow up?" 
how are they going to get away? And there's a little ridge, so he can throw it down the ridge so he doesn't get blown up. I was also mortified that that dog was going to return it and like sit there expecting to be patted on the head and blow up. But no, when I saw that the grenades started rolling downhill, I was like, oh, okay, good. We got, we got a, a, a Deus Ex downhill grenade roll to save this dog here. Uh, what did you think about the, the mixture of like the old tech? Like the the simulants living out here have like these old trucks, and uh, the guy seems to be uh, spraying his crops, like with a a big backpack kind of thing. Uh, it's not overly designed or overly built like the like the more modern parts of the world are. I think it's good because it's like rural parts of the world would still be pretty similar to as they are now. There would be new technology, but it's not everything would become downtown Los Angeles, full automation robot world, uh, future sci-fi world. There would be still rural parts of the world that would still largely look the same, right? That's... uh... That makes me think of last time I went back up to Northern Indiana um, and we went, we went thrift shopping and you know, the big thing now is like nineties fashions or whatever uh, for a certain type of uh, my daughter's age, 18 or so 18 through the mid twenties. That's like hip, but there were people up there who never got rid of their clothing. Like, I saw women in um, like denim on denim outfits and it's just what they were still rocking from the, from the nineties <laughs> with like big, big poofy hair big, and whatnot. Were they big Leno fans? They have a, a denim on denim. That Leno wore a lot of denim. Oh yeah. I do recall like the photo shoot of him in a chambray shirt and jeans. Yeah. Chambray. Yeah, sh- the, uh, am I using that term correctly? Am I using it incorrectly? I I I I, I say chambray because I've never heard that before. It's uh, it's those blue shirts. Uh, it's a it's a fine dense cloth. It's a plain weave fabric. Yeah. There's one avenue of this movie that I wish they would have explored more, uh, because it was a kind of unsettling and dread-inducing scene, and that's uh, Shipley, the guy that was with John David Washington, uh, dies from his wounds, Mm -hmm. and Allison Janney and her friend scan his head or something and then put it into a nearby robot, and so now he's as, like, this police simulant for 30 seconds... Mm-hmm. Shipley's alive again, and that was haunting, thinking about that. And it also reminded me of, uh, there's a skill that my character has, my warlock, in Baldur's Gate 3, where I can raise dead people and ask them five questions. Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, and my question seeing them pull a USB stick and like shove it into the simulant's head. Uh, 
do you want to be put into a robot? Do, do you want your consciousness to live forever in the, the digital ether? I used to say no, but then I watched that Black Mirror episode. Uh, it's, it's named after a town. I can't remember the two uh, women who fall yes. in love. and The Santa Clarita epi- Diet. <laughs> God. No. But that episode kind of made it look all right. Mm-hmm. You know, I would need, I would need to read more. Okay, you're not you're not jumping to any decisions. I'm, uh, it's not a question I answer thirty seconds on to, on a podcast because <laughs> I'm really worried that somehow that would lock me in down the road. They'd be like, "Oh, well, on January twelfth, twenty twenty four, you responded yes. This is what you wanted." It's like, yep. <laughs> You don't know when I'm on a podcast. I don't. I don't even believe half the things I say. It's like signing up for an extended warranty on your uh, electronic devices. You just did it at the spur of the moment, and now you're uh, you're stuck for the next four years paying fourteen ninety five or whatever. Zagaki. Uh, you're not going to heaven because you're not a you're not good, and I'm not a person. Is what <sighs> Alfie says to him. Rough. Yeah. Title card, The Friend. Um, and this is where we get the backstory that we get Taylor's mission. And it's fucked up that the tracking ring is in a ring. Yeah. And so like, okay, Taylor, the only way, the only way for us to track this woman, there's no way that you could plant this on her or put this nearby her or in her luggage or something. The only way we can do this. <laughs> <laughs> if you trick her into falling in love with you so you can get engaged and make her wear this weird wedding band that looks more like a band than an engagement ring. Yeah. It's, uh, it seems like you're going too many steps to do something fairly simple. But then again, it's Denzel Washington level charisma. So they're like, all right, we're sending this man down any anyone he wants to fall in love with probably will fall in love with him. Uh, and this is the friend is uh, Sturgill Simpson, who was not in the movie up till this point. Different guy. True. Uh, but did you watch? Have you been watching Righteous Gemstones? Only a few episodes, and then I just passed on that show for whatever reason. Okay, I can. It is a show that often annoys me <laughs> and I'm glad the episodes are short because I cannot take the characters for that long. Uh, but there was a, a storyline this last year with uh, Steve Zahn and Sturgill Simpson. And it was great. I just loved seeing those two guys together. And I like, uh, I like Steve Zahn. Yeah. I'm afraid to watch Saving Silverman, though. Ooh, I don't think that's aged well, probably. We ate her. You ate her? <laughs> Arlie Army was pretty damn funny in that movie, though, I gotta say. Uh, uh, let's see here. So, and then we find out that, uh, oh, so the way that this kid is the weapon is that the kid is basically an evolving AI that will grow. And eventually can control 
any piece of technology from any anywhere on the world. And so uh, the cops are going to use an EMP on the kid to kill Alfie. And then Taylor kills them all. Um, Drew has an AI girlfriend, and that's sad. That's like that episode of uh, Twilight Zone. Yes. Where... I'm going to spoil a really old episode of Twilight Zone, and I've never even seen it either. But a man <gasps> Sean! Like, crash lands on a planet, and he's alone with a robot woman, and eventually nope. falls in nope. love with nope. her. They're goofing him and all up already. A rescue, a rescue mission comes nope. to take him, and he's <laughs> like, no, I don't want to leave because we're in love. And so then the plane takes off, and as the plane takes off, she, like, trips and falls down a hill, and the robot breaks, and then he's alone on an island. Okay, you got the important part right. He's uh, a criminal who's been sent to solitary uh, on this other planet, and they sneak him, like, projects of stuff to build, and then one day they bring him this woman, this robot woman who he falls in love with. And then he chooses to stay in prison with her? Yeah, because when they shut down the the penal uh, colony, they don't have enough cargo space to take her back and he's oh like gosh and he's like well i'm gonna stay here <laughs> i'm gonna stay here with her and then uh immediately <laughs> immediately she dies <laughs> it's it is like what the spoofs of the twilight zone would have you believe twilight zone is in every episode and it's not but that's exactly how it plays out in this one <laughs> uh Let's see. There's a part where John David Washington uh, yells at Alfie and then apologizes. Mm-hmm. And that burst of anger, but then the, the, the remorse about it. We're, we're starting to get like a really complete picture of this guy. And he's kind of a broken guy, but still a good-hearted guy. And I, I, there's definitely worlds where this would be more of a Demolition Man-esque sci-fi hero. And instead we get more of a broken guy with a seemingly big heart. Um, yeah, and it, it plays out like character-wise and visually and plot-wise with him in a little bit literally having to go back to his burned-out house and like revisit his history which I thought was pretty good. Uh, but I didn't want to gloss over the fact that they deliver explosive ice cream to the nice AI lady. And that made me real sad. <laughs> I didn't like that at all. That's right. She dies because of exploding ice cream tray. There's yeah. some kind of wacky shit in this movie. If you stopped, yeah. it moves, it moves fast enough to move past it before I can really stop to think about it. Uh, and once again, Alfie is watching TV and it's like some fifties, uh, looking sci-fi, uh, it, it looks like a knockoff of the day the earth stood still or something like that. Uh, yeah. And then, uh, there's drones coming to attack them. Drew gets blasted by a drone. Uh, Maya is Nermata potentially. And... And then Ken Watanabe catches them. And then we get the the mother title card. 
And this is where uh, Watanabe, after that, explains how the the explosion in L.A. wasn't even an AI attack. It was a human coding error. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't want to gloss over the fact that Nermada slash Maya is uh, John Davis Washington's wife, his character's wife, from the beginning of the oh, movie, who got, yeah. who got nuked. Or, and you know, blowed up. I don't know if we know yet. <laughs> Do we know yet that she is his, is their child? Oh, no, not No, not that yet. comes a little later. We're, we're almost there. Yeah. Almost there. Um, what do we, oh, there's, there's hookah smoking robots getting stony listening to reggae hanging out with people (laughs) uh wherever this part of the world is like the blade runner part with uh with the cool all the hip people with piercings area like that looks cool that might be neat but wherever this is where everyone is chill and like living off the land and like floating around in these little boats in the bay or whatever i'm like that's i want to go there i want to hang out there yeah, I'd get high with a robot. Yeah. Uh Oh, and then we have a uh avatar part here with these giant tanks that roll through the forest and smash everything, which I also think is probably Ferngully before that maybe with bulldozers, but that felt very much uh like another movie kind of mashed into here is the whole avatar giant tank rolling through their forest attacking destroying their simple way of life and their more primitive weapons that they have that are defenseless against them and uh is this oh this (laughs) this is where it's like can you believe these humans their callous disregard for ai life as they have suicide bomber AI robots <laughs> that say one of them is like, it's like sad when they send it off to go run down. It goes, goodbye. It's been a pleasure to serve you. And then the way that these robots just like sprint in, there's something comical about these suicide bomber robots. Did you think that? Yeah, they, um, they're like, uh, stupid linebackers yeah <laughs> just like okay yeah, coach. totally okay. totally <laughs> that's a wonderful way to put it finally you explain something in a relationship to sports and i understand you but my only reference for that would be i i think it's the dead uh football team in beetlejuice <laughs> oh okay yeah i don't want to gloss over the fact that a robot throws a sticky bomb on a tank, saving Private Ryan. Yes. Gets shot, but <laughs> there's there's a monkey nearby that's watching what's going on, and apparently the monkey has chosen sides in this war because the monkey picks up the trigger that was dropped and blows up the tank. Yep, I loved it. What is this? <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to talk about this movie. <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to stop and think about these things. Well, or is it that 
the the people and the AI coming together in this community have also communed with nature to such a point that nature will protect them. Okay. Yeah. I I, I can vibe with that Irie lifestyle. Uh, although I, my actual note was holy shit that monkey is on the side of the AI. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, and that bomb also, or someone blows up a bridge, mm-hmm. bridge over River Kwai. You just picked something with a bridge in it, didn't you? A bridge too far. A bridge too far. Mm-hmm. These are famous bridge movies. <laughs> uh, the game Bridge. The Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, you know, the, the third part of a song after the chorus and the verse. I've never written one of those. No, they're difficult. <laughs> I they don't often know how. In, they often involve key changes and, oh, ugh, no. Key changes are scary. <laughs> Call a locksmith. That's the funniest thing you said on here, Sean. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so somewhere around here. Oh, they find Maya and she's like in a coma in a Buddhist temple. And this is where we learn that Alfie is a copy of his and Maya's embryo. And so Alfie is essentially his daughter. So, But so this is... The miracle of Alfie was not... Alfie is a growing, kind of living AI. Mm-hmm. Alfie was not built as a child. Alfie was conceived like as an embryo and has grown from adolescence, is what they're saying. So, you, you mean from infancy? <laughs> yes, from infancy to yeah. adolescence. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, this is in very stark contrast with the trope we see in the next movie, which is called Born Sexy Yesterday, uh, which is when you make a fully grown female robot that's hot, this is like, no, we're actually giving this person a life. And so they'll have a story and someplace that they come from and nurturing and growing and everything, as opposed to uh Lilu Dallas multipass, who is just uh, a hot lady who wakes up and knows nothing except for what you tell her. That, that works for me though, because then to think about like, the AI's super weapon is creating an AI that has a complete life experience. Mm-hmm. And now we have this one complete being, which can then, infl- yeah. Okay. That, that works pretty well. Did you ever see Lucy? The, mm, Oh, the fifth element guy, uh, bizarre Luke, John Luke Picard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I, Luke uh, Fassad. Luke Fassad, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's where I was going to. <laughs> no. With Scarlett Johansson? No. And I, I saw it in theater. It's a weird movie. It's like that thing about like humans only use 10% of your brain. What mm. if you use 100? And it's it's really... I remember watching it in theater with my roommate. I was just like, what in the fuck is this movie? I love it because it's so fucking nuts. But then, upon further reflection, I was like, "That w- that movie might be terrible." Um, 
I think that my perception of it is that it's uh, it was a stupider um, Hannah. Did you ever see Hannah? Yeah, but it's more about like growing your brain to then develop superpowers. Oh, okay. Hannah was just a girl who was raised to be a little lethal assassin, right? Yeah, she's basically the uh uh the kid in Logan. And then they made a show out of that, right? I believe so, and I've uh, like so many shows that like it piques your interest for about 2.5 seconds and then you never look up where to watch it. Uh there's so many shows these days. It's there's, crazy. It's too many shows. We're the first people to notice that. Yeah. Yeah. It was not it definitely was not a birthday boy sketch like 14 years ago when they were just talking about there's too many shows because AMC and IFC also <laughs> had shows on. Oh. It was it was like quaint the notion of there being too many shows back then. Mhm. There there's a new Sam Spade show uh you know Maltese Falcon the character Sam Spade starring Clive Owen. That's coming out on AMC I... Plus and I'm like how do how am I not hearing about this? It should be in my algorithm every day and they're like, "Yeah, we're just going to throw it out there, I guess." You didn't watch that video I sent you, did you? The whole 10 minute Carl Pilkington movie. Oh yes, yes I did with Clive Warren. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say you just you just called him Clive Owen in front of me. You could have scored so many points if you called him Cla- Clive Warren. Oh god. Yeah, that was that was a very enjoyable bit. <laughs> uh, again, uh John David Washington and Voyles here really I think knock it out of the park with turning off the life support. And this movie for me was a slow escalation. There's like three emotional moments. And by the time this movie got me to the third emotional moment, I was like, fine movie. I'll, I'll give it to you here. You you got me. Um, But this was the first little step, but very well acted scene and a sad one. Was it when they, they shoot, uh, Ken Watanabe, and then right at yeah yeah right at this time they yeah that's this is where uh, Allison Janney also gets a sticky bomb on her back and I'm yep. like I'm like fucking yeah blow her up now <laughs> I am done with her being in this movie I am she's so bad I don't want her around yeah oh but a great little moment is when Alfie stops the bomb from ticking on Janney's back to mm. try to save her. But then Janney's two henchmen are going <laughs> to shoot Alfie. So then, yeah, they duck behind cover, breaks their concentration, and then the, the bomb blows up and kills them all. Uh, Taylor, oh, before they run out, uh, Taylor is his name. Josh Taylor. Yeah. Uh, it's disconcerting to hear Josh over and over again, or Joshua, in a movie. There's, there's a few Sean movies out there. Uh, he they take Maya's uh, chip, her mm-hmm. USB consciousness or whatever. Um, this is where they get split up in pairs, and they get split up into different ships, and uh, the Nomad blows up the village that they were just in, and now uh, 
the guy from Chris Finch says that you need you need to help us kill this kid mercifully, or the way that we're going to have to kill this kid will be unimaginary unimaginarily painful. Uh, this is where I literally, uh, you know, when you zone out during a movie, I yeah. zone I zoned in. I was just like in the movie for about five or seven minutes here, where I was like, from when she blows up. Uh, and they, they capture, uh, Joshua and the kid and they're taking him to the, I was like, oh, notes. I should be taking no <laughs> notes. I was just way too into it. I, yeah, I, I was into it also. And because I knew that this, you know, when there is also a scene that's just so set up for an actor or for two actors to really go for it emotionally and just like really buy in and and on all the emotion and so yeah when he's when he's walking into this room with the the EMP pistol that he has yeah I was I was fully locked in on this and there's a couple beats this movie like you were saying the script does so many uh like save the cat kind of moments but I feel like it sets them up and then pays them off. Like we knew way ahead of time that that's his kid, right? Like you have to know that somehow Alfie was him and his wife, like some form made that it's not just a surrogate father. It's a direct link to his past and his love. Uh, and I feel like this scene where he takes that EMP pistol and fakes killing her. I was like, oh, okay, that's what's happening. There's no other option. That's how it has to play out. You didn't think he was going to EMP kill his kid and then <laughs> the earth would be saved in the end? Nomad, no. Nomad no. blows everything up? No, this movie can't outsmart me, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Not with 30 uh, minutes left, it can't. So, oh boy, but... When she says, am I going to heaven now? That's oh, it. And then when she cries, geez, mm-hmm. this is part of, uh, this is the first of her two, like, really good scenes that, where I was so impressed with her kid acting, especially first performance. And maybe sometimes that's the magic of getting a kid, a Jerry Maguire kid, or this kid, or I don't know what other great performances there have been, but when you pull a kid who's not an actor kid. Mm-hmm. And so they don't have that weird idea of performance in their head. You can just capture them more naturally being a kid and feeling emotions. Uh, the It's the Haley Joel Osment. Uh, that's the good side. And the, on the flip side, you got your Jake Lloyd. Doing like, like I'm a precocious kid. And you just want to, you want to slap the I, child and the actor. I don't blame Jake Lloyd for that. I That's fair. look at look at look at the mess of that movie. Yeah. Just it Neeson is terrible. And yeah. He's Liam Neeson. Yes. He's in Schindler's list. <laughs> I've never seen it. Sean. Oh Possibly, god. Cause, Casablanca Schindler's List, real good time double feature. Uh, Casablanca is a good time. It's, you know, it's fun. You wouldn't know. 
I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so they're gonna take the body to for disposal. He says, "I want to go. It's not a funeral. It is for me, sir." And then, uh, yeah, ambulance crash. She wakes up because he put her in standby mode, not off mode. Someone really should have checked that EMP pistol and. Excuse me, made sure that it was set to kill and not stun. Uh, the it, it, Once again, a classic thing of they're trying to de-scramble what happened because there was a weird flicker in their uh, recording equipment and they didn't hear what John David Washington said to Alfie uh, the first time. And later, watching Ex Machina, I was like, oh, robots have one trick. It's it's cutting out your surveillance. That's it. That's the only thing robots can do, apparently. <laughs> robots are friends with other robots, including cameras. And so that's, yeah, our reliance on robots will always be our downfall when we fight robots. We made too many robots. We shouldn't have done it. Uh, LAX just flies to the moon. And that is a fun fact that I really like. Uh, right in here. I noted that I'm an absolute sucker for all this stuff. Like from her coming back to life, like that made me so happy. You know, it's going to happen. It made me happy uh, to like skulking through the airport. And like, she tricks the robot to let them through. Minority report skulking through an airport. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, these, these are not the drones you're looking for. Jedi mind trick mm -hmm. on the gate here. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, it was really fun. So when they take off, they get into flight and then she redirects the plane and they go and they they land on Nomad. Uh, I'm a huge Expanse head. I'm pretty far into that book series. I've, I think I have like four books left out of ten. Um, they talk about airlocking people mm -hmm. in that as a means of execution where you just put someone in an airlock and open the door. And uh, that was fun to see all those cops get sucked out of this plane into the sky. I like the, when they have the realization of like, oh, fuck, he has his spacesuit on. <laughs> He's opening the airlock. Yeah, that was cool. When, uh, when they cut to silence, when they... Yeah. I was like, it's so fucking tasty. I was just like, oh, give it to me. Yes. Love that all the little like thunk noises when... You take out the, the atmosphere, so the only noise coming through is essentially through direct contact vibration of thunks and breathing. Yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, Alfie just kicks ass through this little section. Like, the, the tricks and everything she's doing from when she pops back to life. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is a great kid. It's a great little action kid. Getting powerful. Uh, I dig that gigantic indoor space garden that they have on board the nomad mm -hmm. the whole the nomad set everything in this part looks spectacular outside as we move outside where uh taylor ends up outside on the missiles as alfie's running towards the control room to stop the missiles from launching and it just looks so good cgi um i feel like space and spaceships and stations were some of the first thing that CGI was able to do really well. Um, 
this is a bigger scale, but did the indoor garden, isn't there an indoor garden in Sunshine? Sunshine, yeah. And that, uh, that what's her face from everything every Michelle Yeoh yeah. tends to. And then I think there's one, is there one in Event Horizon as well? When they go to the other ship and it's all frozen because they were trying to figure out how they had the oxygen to live and it turns out they didn't. There might be, but it's it's been a minute since I've seen Event Horizon. That's always one that I think back highly on and it's fun, but it's it's music video fun. Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts and you're just like you have to go along for the ride and you don't care if it makes sense. It's just there's cool shit. It that story of Paul W.S. Anderson's entire life. <laughs> uh, but yeah. this also, the giant space station, uh, reminded me of two other things. The movie uh, Elysium. With- Never saw it, but okay. I, did, I did definitely get um, some District 9 vibes yeah. at, at times in this movie. Yeah. But go on about Elysium, because I remember people were like, some people thought it was cool. Some people were not really into it. It's Matt Damon, right? Matt Damon and Jodie Foster. Uh, and I remember liking it. And I think that it has a very, um, you know, this movie's kind of both sides in it. Uh, although coming down on the side of humanity, I think um, Elysium is much more like, uh, fuck the government, fuck <laughs> the patriarchy. Uh the you know fuck the status quo uh kind of a thing much more uh extremely liberal minded to the point of like eh, we need a revolution type of thing uh so to a certain you know what late 20s early 30s me uh it seemed very much like hell yeah i i like the the movie and i like the message blomkamp's career bums me out a bit I'm not quite sure. So many of his projects fell apart, and God, Demonic was a disaster. But I re I watched um, Gran Turismo with my brother-in-law recently. We were having coffee. We were the first ones awake, and he just put that on. And maybe it would have been a movie I got around to eventually, but because uh, I did play Gran Turismo games mm-hmm. on PS2 and. I do credit those games with, by the time I got behind the wheel of a car, I did feel like I had a much greater understanding of car handling or how to turn into a skid or uh, so many of the physics of driving, I feel like that game helped me with. And uh, it was it was a pretty good movie, actually. The, the guy who's in it is also in Saltburn, and he's two for two really good performances. Nice. So I'm hoping that like Blomkamp is coming back. Uh, the other thing that's reminded me of, because you talked about the your book series, have you ever read Rendezvous with Rama? Uh, no, I don't think I've heard of that. Okay. It is uh, Isaac Asimov, I believe. Is that right? Is that right? Uh, book about like launching a civilization into space and like, they're going to, you're just going to live on this space station and it's going to keep going and keep going until you find another suitable planet, basically. And 
I remember it's been 20 years since I read it, but they have um, giant gardens in there and like everything you would need to keep propagating life. Uh, And so it just always puts me in mind like this kind of dabbles in that more hard sci-fi. It brings it sprinkles stuff in from from that world, I feel like. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, I'd probably be into that. Uh, see, at this point, Taylor has set a 10-minute bomb on one of the rockets. Alfie stops them all launching for a bit. Uh, she goes to the AI research area, which is just like the Westworld room, where all the blank AIs are and finds uh, the Maya robot and puts the USB stick in her. But uh, the what, go ahead. once again, this, this was an emotional beat for me because they played it off of Alfie looking at the things. Looking at the the bodies hanging there, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it's it's her realizing that, like, first of all, these are all kind of my countrymen. Like, all these are just you know they're 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 potential AIs and they're just hanging here. It was made me sad, but her- also seeing what she's not. Oh, that she's like evolved beyond. Well, well, also that she. She is like them, but they were built, and she has grown. Yeah. So it's 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 interesting that she really, you know, she the whole kind of story is that she does share both sides of her soul. She has the human side and the robot side. Uh, anyway, Taylor starts running out of oxygen, and uh, Alfie has to get him his air and seals the lock. Uh, this is where we, that the Doc Ock <laughs> giant squid yes. thing starts attacking. <laughs> I, I do uh, like a last minute, uh, you know, henchman robot enemy that we've not seen before. <laughs> They're just like, yeah, yeah, why the hell not? And then at this point, but that at this point, it's like, well, Alfie controls all robots, so I feel like she's just going, and then she does just like shut it down. Mm-hmm. Using her thoughts, and it it falls off the bridge, and then uh, they, yeah. So this is where now the movie gets rough emotionally. They destroy Nomad, and it, the ship starts blowing up, and we see a missile skid to the ground, and now uh, Alfie gets into an escape pod, but Taylor doesn't, and they have the emotional look at each other through the glass armageddon has this moment too it's like there's so many movies that have this moment where two characters are looking at each other in their very last moments before they're going to be torn apart and one is facing oblivion and uh this this one got me man i i was i was tearing up at this part when he tells her that uh he he's gonna Taylor says that he's going to go to heaven and he'll find Alfie there and then launches her off. Uh, yeah, it was totally a, uh, Harry and AJ moment, which yeah, that the last time I watched it, it's been a while, but I've seen, I've seen Armageddon. I don't know how many times that ending always got me from like, I was like 16 watching that movie and I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> His- I, yeah. I, I, remember, I remember holding back tears when I saw it in theater. Yeah. 
Uh, Virginia and I covered that on our show recently. Well, I think you're wrong. And we both teared up near the end. Nice. I thought Will Patton would make her tear up, but I was wrong. It was, I, I oversold Will Patton, but we did tear up regardless. Oh, that's a good moment though. I do like that. Yeah, but it's not, it's not the end. It's before the end. Mm -hmm. It's when he's, before they leave, he has that moment where it's so sad when he drops by and gives the toy to his ex-wife and... What what about um, Billy Bob getting his mission patch? The patch, yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, there's there's I'm, there's some good stuff I got at the a little, end there. Little man. goosebump right there. <laughs> well, talking about little goosebumps when Taylor's walking back through the ship. Oh and fuck of me! All, oh of my all god! The beautiful places for him to see Maya in this garden, and as he's talked about earlier in the movie, and Chekhov's one minute. Just if I could just get one minute with her mm -hmm. and uh, really just, yeah, beautiful, nice, heartfelt moment that kind of knew was bound to happen eventually in this movie, but still nice to see. Uh, yeah, that literally as I'm watching it, I was like, oh, that was my note. Oh, fuck me. This is this is the kind of melodrama that I am here for. <laughs> Like, you know, you commented the last time, I think, about the, the Ice Harvest being a very Josh movie because it's cold and kind of cynical and depressive. But as is with so many bipolar people, <laughs> I like the extremes. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the cheesiest very, love, too. That's very, that's very true about you. Yeah. And uh, this movie wraps here with... Um, Independence Day, as we see around the globe reactions to big giant pieces of the Nomad ship crashing into the Earth, and people, in my opinion, running far too close towards a crashing spaceship. They should be running away from it, but we see so many different people from different cultures running towards giant crash sites, and it makes me nervous, but Independence Day. <laughs> Uh, but the very end, we get those people cheering for Alfie. Yeah. yeah. As Nermata, as the new, the new embodiment of the creator. This is like, it's like the Dalai Lama, right? Like where it finds a new person. Although here it's been, uh, from Maya's father to Maya to Alfie, uh, Oh, that, that, yeah, okay, the, the, the setting in Nepal makes so much more sense in that context of the incarnation of the Dalai Lama in a child. Yeah. Oh, that, okay, that, I thought it might have just been because it's a really beautiful location. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe, uh, Edvins, not Edvins, Edwards just went on a vacation there and was like, wow, I, I am obsessed with Nepal now, and this is where I want to film a movie. Like, but that, like you that, pulled that, that Adam totally Sandler. <laughs> that totally works, though. Um, do you do you ever feel like when a movie ends with applause that it's the movie applauding itself, <laughs> and it's like, okay, now movie, <laughs> like, let's calm down here. Uh, you could read Alfie's face at the very end. Because she's like crying, like upset, and then starts smiling with tears in her eyes. 
Like she's the audience. <laughs> like this is what you're supposed to be doing, guys. <laughs> you you ugly cry and then you happy cry and then we're out on on uh, what the Claire de Lune or whatever. Listen, man, the fact that this kid was able to sell a cry on the final shot of a movie which both expresses remorse and grief for the loss of her parents, but then also gratitude for what has been given to her and the changes that she can then make to make the world better. That's a hell of a thing to put on this kid's (laughs) shoulders, and she fucking sells it with the last shot. Well done. Uh... Yeah, it was, it got me, and I've watched, uh, I did watch the ending sequence, uh, like, three times. The, from the airlock, where where they separate, to the end. Just the, okay. the explosions and that stuff. Just because, uh, I was so caught up the first time, and I was, I just wanted to watch it again. <laughs> and I was like, this is pretty great. It hits all the beats, and... Like you were saying, yeah, it's Armageddon. It's Independence Day. But those movies, I came up on, and uh, it's like it's like getting mad at the Beatles for sounding too much like the Beatles. You're like, no, that's what I like. Give me more of that. You know, get I, ma- <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I like those movies. Mm-hmm. And so, if you wanna, if you wanna boost the good parts where it doesn't. <laughs> Anytime I mention these movies, like these scenes, though, none of them feel overtly rip-off. It's just they. It's just a good scene from another movie. It didn't really. It it, it didn't feel like a complete boost of a a script. Uh, two clarifications. One, I should have said Oasis because they're they're pulling from the Beatles or Electric Light Orchestra or Badfinger. There's all these other bands that did Beatlesque stuff. Big Star, my favorite, uh, doing Beatlesque stuff. Yeah, I want more of it, so just give me more in different forms. That's fine. Secondly, it's not Isaac Asimov. It's Arthur C. Clarke. I'm a dope. Absolute dolt. That's embarrassing. I know. Let's... Can we roll back to the beginning so I can uh, not say those things? Uh, yeah, we could if I had written this movie, because then we would have this weird AI-constructed timeline thing that we could play <laughs> with. But I'm sorry, I didn't write this one, so we're just going to have to end on your disappointing line and your review. Okay, that's great. Thanks. Uh, wait, where is my... There we go. The Creator, 2023, gets, yeah, four stars and a heart for me. Because I don't think, like, it's not breaking any ground, uh, filmically speaking, except for how beautiful it is. Uh, it's just, it's playing the hits. So, from that point, it, it gets four. But it did get me crying and gave me goosebumps rewatching those other scenes. So, yeah, gets a heart. I also, I'm thinking about your scale not only being your enjoyment of a movie, but also then your, uh, the odds that you'll rewatch it again in mm-hmm. the future. This, this is, did get me to tear up at the end, but then again, it's like, it's easy. It's easy for me to 
do that. And this movie played like the easy cards to make that happen. Yes. But I had a good time and it looks really cool and the acting is far above average. I'll, I'll go with a four. Okay. I, I was either a three and a half or a four, but I think mainly based off of Washington and Voyle's performance and chemistry together as father-daughter, I think that elevates it to a four for me. Yeah, and this, uh, not to like downplay that you should sit and watch a movie, but this totally is a movie that you could put on in the background, check in for your few uh, action scenes, zone out during the other things, and still get that hit at the end because it's manipulative, right? It's literally, they play like the most manipulative music. There's a scene where they needle drop Radiohead instead of Ride of the Valkyries when the, the troops are coming in. And I was like, hell yeah, this, this is a movie that knows what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely see this. Yeah. Being a movie that it's like, what am I in the mood for? I don't know. Not like a, trashy action mm -hmm. but an action that i won't have to pay attention to especially if i know the story before and uh yeah i i, I see myself re-watching this down the road yeah uh you want to take five minutes and then we will come back and talk about ex machina absolutely Welcome back from the break. Up next, we're going to be talking about Ex Machina, uh, the movie directed by Alex Garland from 2014. And Josh and I have both seen this movie a few times, I believe. And I didn't realize that this movie was so recent. I know nine years ago, but it, it, it feels like this movie is a lot older than that to me. Uh, yeah. Well, it's weird because also I feel like the last three years haven't happened for anybody. That's a given. Uh, and for me, the couple years before that were also a blur. So, okay. yeah. So this movie happened right before a blur and a blur. <laughs> so it just came out like so many things. Uh, there was something I was looking at the other day that was like, once again, eight or nine years old. And I was like, oh yeah, I've been meaning to get to that. Like, I've been meaning to get to it for nine years. Yeah, I I told Virginia that I bought, after I was into Taxi Driver when I was 17 or 18, uh, I was probably around that time, or maybe 19, I bought uh, Raging Bull on DVD and <laughs> still haven't watched it. Ooh, I'm getting to it. I'm getting to it. <laughs> 15 years later, I'm, yeah. I'm getting to I'm it. I'm getting to it. It's fine. Um, so this is directed by Alex Garland, like I said, um, who started his career as a writer and wrote 28 Days Later and more notoriously, did he write? Oh, he didn't write The Beach. Okay. So that's a bad movie. He wrote The Book of the Beach. Oh, Yes. Okay, and, and I think the book is the book has to be better than that movie. Yes. And I've read the book. Um oh what else did he write? He wrote um something like the Tesseract. He wrote the Tesseract, which I read in one night. Like that was a great book. 
Um, I'd be interested to read his books. But uh, both of those were like mid-90s, right? His his kind of kickoff. So he had to be... He was young. He was born in, he was born in 70. Okay. So yeah, like 25, 26 years old coming out with this stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, he wrote... So he wrote Sunshine, which we've covered on the show before. And then he wrote and directed... Uh, Annihilation, one of our earliest episodes, mm-hmm. uh, and Men, one of our most unique episodes, mm-hmm. and now Ex Machina. And I I know that the trailer for Civil War developed some pretty big buzz. Uh, I didn't watch it because I'm definitely going to see that movie. Alex Garland is a, a must-watch guy for me because he also made Devs. Mm-hmm. His show, which I watched all of, and there's so much devs in Ex Machina as we go forth here. Uh, but yeah, Alex Garland's one of my guys. I- I'm going to watch like anything that he makes, I think, for a while. Uh, I dipped into Dread, which he wrote um, this last week. Haven't finished it yet. Uh, you hadn't seen it before? Not all the way through. Oh, Dread is rad. Yeah. Do you like it, it? Yeah, it's pretty good so far. It's I like that Carl Urban doesn't take his hat off, his helmet off. No. That's that's awesome. Carl Urban rocks in that yeah. movie so hard. Did you I don't remember from our raid discussion, had you seen Raid 1, The Raid Redemption? Why does why is it the first one that has the Because <laughs> it it's an American release only it thing. It, it's called The Raid. And then for the American release, due to confusion or for some stupid reason, they added that subtitle to it. Ridiculous. Um, have you seen that movie, though? Have I seen The Raid? Yeah. 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 I, I've, I've seen The, the Raid same, it, two or three times. Yeah. It's the same movie as Dread. Yes. There's And it's something about some... There's always been contention, I think, of whether or not there was like a script leak or a, a, a double use of a script or who who knows what. You know how Hollywood always does that with Deep Impact, Armageddon, The Illusionist, The Prestige, like on and on. You have all of these double release movies and Dread and The Raid are another one of those pairs. That's... They're both excellent movies. I, I I'm not complaining. They both rule. And Dread has slow-mo. Slow-mo is such a cool drug. <laughs> um, <coughs> man. Uh, is it... Aren't they both, um, like, Enter the Dragon, basically? Never seen it. Okay. I've seen very little old kung fu that is not Jackie Chan related. Okay. And that's not really old. No, that's book. not. Um, oh, real quick. Alex Garland also wrote uh, Never Let Me Go. The, he wrote the screenplay for it. It's based on a, a book that I have on my shelf um, by uh, Kazuro Ishiguro, uh, who has written other things that people have turned into movies. Uh, but never let me go makes me cry talking about, uh, a lot of the same kind of stuff. 
Although not in a thriller aspect like Ex Machina is. Um, what is Never Let Me Go? Never Let Me Go is... Um, it's got Carrie Mulligan, Kira Knightley, uh, Spider-Man, and they're, they grow up like in this English countryside uh, together, like a boarding school kind of a thing. And then you start to find out the, the secrets of who and why they are uh, and why they didn't come from families. They were all at this boarding school, like some tragedy kind of happened. Uh, and their their connection to each other it's really about the three of them like coming together and having kind of this love triangle thing sounds heavy oh it is yeah yeah it's a good one um what do you know dom domal domination i i think the h is or the n is silent potentially (laughs) i'm not sure but i mean i love his dad and yes. I mainly know him from uh, this movie and uh, that episode of Black Mirror, season one episode of Black Mirror, which is interesting because he plays a reanimated AI robot in that movie in that episode. Hey, how huh. the world works out sometimes. Have you seen that episode? Um, I've seen all of the first season, but that was once again that was in the blur. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's a it's a rough episode emotionally. It's actually one of I think the better Black Mirror episodes because it's a bit more mature and less about the shock value. But uh, he's engaged um, and dies somehow, and then his fiance gets a thing that says uh, we could basically recreate him through all of his text messages and emails and social media to get him to like email you. And so it starts with that where she's then chatting with him. And then it it just like this, like AI program escalates where it's like, well then the biggest package now is like, if we get his DNA, we can then like grow him and then put an AI in him. And so then it's Dom Gleason now, playing an AI version of himself. And it's just really, it's a really good episode about grief and letting go and what, what makes a person a person and all all that. And what choices do we make? Uh, Do we choose the artificial comfort or do we expose ourselves to like reality and pain? It was a good episode. Um, and it looks like it's the the first episode of the second season. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, I've been meaning to watch About Time for a long time, too. And I know that's a real tearjerker, a dad movie, which is it's sold as a it's sold as a love movie. But mm-hmm. then there's a there's a sad dad story in there, I guess, that makes people cry or something like that. I don't know. Oh, and it's um, Bill Nighy. What? Oh, that is Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Oh, Bill Knight. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and that was one of the first movies Elizabeth showed to me. Um, like, uh, what did I take over? I took over a whole stack of Blu-rays. We got through like one of them and, you know, five years on, uh, Never Let Me Go was one of them that I wanted to watch with her and we've never watched it. 
we we only watch like ten movies a year together, and a lot of those are new releases. So we have to pick our battles. But uh, about time was the one she showed me, and yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good one. Dad stuff, uh, love stuff. Yep. Time, time stuff. Time stuff. I like time stuff. Um, other other cast members: uh, Alicia Vikander, who <laughs> the Green Knight. Funny enough, mm-hmm. um, that's the only thing I think I've seen her in outside of this. I I never saw Tomb Raider. I don't think. Um, but I think she's really good in this movie. I would definitely like to see other uh, other stuff she's been in. Uh, she's in the man from uncle, which is really fun, but she's, uh, she doesn't have a big part in that. I don't believe. Yeah. I don't. Um, and then rounding it out is, um, Oscar Isaac, who what's, what's your go-to, uh, thought when, when Oscar Isaac pops up, what, what are you thinking about him in first? Um, probably inside Lewin Davis. That's, that's such a, <laughs> uh, an unattractive title to me that oh. you could, you could do Michael Clayton inside Lewin Davis double feature of great movies that Sean will never watch because they have unattractive titles. Did, did you look at my letterbox this morning? Is that... Were you pulling that from? No. Oh, oh, you did. Yeah, you did say something about Michael Clayton. I've said it before that I don't like that title, but then it must be fresh in my head because of you saying, what did you say? It, was it a review of something else? No, in the recommendations channel, I was like, Michael Clayton absolutely rips. Did that? Yeah, that's yeah. what it was. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a, what? mid aughts uh, updating of a 70s kind of paranoid thriller uh legal movie it's so good it's fantastic all right put and, it on the list and inside lewin davis also so good fantastic it can't be with that title oh he's it's it will appeal to your sad bastard parts which I know aren't what? getting as I don't have I don't have those. <laughs> They're not getting as much engagement these days, but uh, yeah. Jeez. Oh, I also want to before we really get started. Uh, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury did the music for this, and it looks like they did Annihilation and Men. Oh, they did Free Fire also. Um, yeah, dude. Interesting. Uh, the, the, these pair, this pair is really, really good. The, the music in Annihilation is incredible. And at points in this movie, I thought it was really beautiful. And to kind of skip towards the end, but the music at the very end, as she's fleshing up, mm-hmm. it's so touching at first. And it has this feeling of like, discovery and like it's so quaint and sweet and then this like distortion starts building in and like this this feedback kind of broken signal starts breaking into that sound and then it slowly builds and then by the end 
when she's leaving. It's just this gigantic drone wall of noise, and it because it goes from like this beautiful, sweet little scene to feeling dread-inducing over the course of two minutes or so. Okay, now I'm down this rabbit hole. Um, Jeff Barrow is from Portishead. Means nothing to you, does it? I know a Portishead. I think I listened to a Portishead album recently, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but go on. Um, yeah. Uh, Portishead uh, Dummy was one of those, like, heavy rotation for me back in uh, 94, 95, whenever it came out. Um, I, that's the album I listened to because our friend Doug, who's also old like you, <laughs> I asked him for a recommendation, and that's the album he asked me to listen to. So I listened to that whole album. Um, but he also did uh, music for a Black Mirror episode, which is wild. And which one? Uh, Men Against Fire. It's uh, season three, end of season three. Ooh, I, that does not sound familiar. Uh, oh, I remember that one. Yeah, that was that episode was okay. The, the one where soldiers of the future are battling alien things. Yeah, not one of the uh, stronger... It's not a sticky episode, right? No. Because spoiler... It's it's a really... It's a pretty easy spoiler to guess of... They give soldiers contact lenses that lets them do battlefield analysis and they're fighting these, like, weird alien enemies and then, spoiler alert, they're just humans, but the contact lenses make them look like scary aliens, and so yeah, that's it. It's that show kind of got hit or miss as the time went on. Um, it's yeah, it's had some like lulls. I feel like, but the movie that it, or the show that it reminds me of, Inside Number Nine, I think has stayed very uh, high quality. What's that? Inside number nine is um, it's two guys, Reese Shearsmith and the other one. They write almost every episode, just the two of them. The concept is that they each episode takes place inside of a building or someplace with the number nine. And so they're all like bottle episodes, right? Like every single episode, it's an anthology, all different stories. Uh, sometimes it's a crime story. Sometimes it's a science fiction. Sometimes it's horror there's a lot of like dark horror kind of elements to it. Um, sometimes it's black mirror esque, uh, but there are two guys who came from like comedy world doing these darker stories or sad stories. Um, and it's just a great series and you can dip in and out. An interesting way to make a show on a budget. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the two of them, um, are in every episode. Oh, right on. Yeah. I would check that out. It's fun. Especially if it's an anthology show, then you could just be like, uh, point me to some of your favorite episodes. Uh, I would recommend not starting with the first one. 
Same with Black Mirror. <laughs> That's fair. Yeah. The the pig episode. Yep. Yeah, maybe it's not quite the tone of the show. Maybe maybe watch the second one first before you watch the Oh man. You want to get started with this movie? Yeah, why not? Uh so it starts so fast with um him winning the this contest showing the face scanning at his computer. Everything happens before there's even a line of dialogue. And uh so our character, Dom Gleason, I don't know his name right now off the top of my head. Um, uh, is it Caleb? Could be. Uh, yeah, Caleb. It's, I, I, I had to laugh that people, the, the helicopter pilot goes, and stay low until you clear the rotors or something. And it's, helicopter rotors are always like 10 feet off the ground. Yeah. And yet... Human beings will forever duck under them, and it, it's kind of silly, but it makes total sense, and it reminds me of, in physics class, my teacher, Mr. Harvey, one of the best teachers I ever had, he had a big wood frame thing, and then he had a, a bowling ball on a rope, and the idea mm. was that showing a pendulum, but also showing loss of energy with every swing, that... um that friction and various forces will slowly dampen the swing of it. And so he started with the bowling ball held to his nose at the tip of his nose and then let the bowling ball go. And it swung back away from him and it starts swinging towards him. And right as it's about to hit him, he jumps out of the way and catches it. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's funny, but it's also the joke of like, we know this is true, but why risk this? Yes. So I know, I know those helicopter blades are above me, but I'm still going to duck under them. Uh, yeah, right before that, he, you have the line like, oh, when do we get to his estate? We've been flying over it for the last two hours. Right? Yeah. But how fast do helicopters go? Like it, 100 plus miles per hour. Yeah, 150 or, to 178, according to uh, the an aer- aer- aeronautics magazine. This, yeah, that, that's a lot of acreage. Yeah, um, but how long can they go on a tank of gas? This is like the logistics of this immediately started pinging for me. That means that his estate is 300 miles I think some helicopters could, depending. It's also, uh, with with them, it really depends on what they're carrying. And so a two-passenger helicopter is going to be able to go a lot further than something with a fully loaded crew or gear or anything like that. So mm-hmm. it, I, I could probably, I'm sure. There's Coast Guard helicopters that have to go um, a few hundred miles round trip. Okay. Uh, I what'd you think about this set though? I this is an incredible place to live. This forest. I love how the the house is cut into the side of the cliff, the rock face, so that the glass is built around that, and you have a living rock wall at the front entrance, and then that kitchen area that like overlooks a river going 
seemingly under the house. It's a, it's a hell of a place. Um, there are parts of it that made me think of uh, Vincent Hanna's quote in Heat. Uh, her her ex husband's dead tech postmodernistic bullshit house. Here's my caveat. Uh-huh. I I I hate the house itself though. Okay. It's the location and that I building into the, the hillside like that is cool or but if this place had a living wall but it was much more wood cabin base. Mm-hmm. It would be so much better. No, I I agree. I would I would love to live in this location, but this house feels, and it it is purposely a bunker, as we come to learn. So that's probably built into the design aesthetic of the house itself. Is uh, a prison? Partly. Um, do you think because it is there's so much glass and concrete and like metal load-bearing looking structures in it do you think that it's partially chosen because uh nathan is that his name oscar isaac is like he's he's pretentious he's not in tune with the nature around him like you know he's he's making his stamp as like an iconoclastic genius uh in this place but he's not actually responding to uh the environment he's in it's like it's not a frank lloyd wright where it blends in with everything or it's supposed to it's you know standing out as like this modernist brutalist uh, architecture yes i definitely think that's a lot of the intention and after watching devs also it, it's very clear that uh Garland is very wary of these tech quote unquote geniuses and their God complexes and them seeing themselves as like super beings who have the ability to transcend what it means to be human in some ways or to, to create with powers that human beings shouldn't have. And, uh, uh, Garland's very critical and about those people and devs this feels like um i wouldn't say a, a, a warm-up to devs but i could almost see this being uh like a side plot inside season one of devs this story here it's like um from the world of devs comes ex machina yeah yeah that that would definitely work. Uh, but what I mean, what do you think about tying devs into this and um, Oscar Isaac and um, Offerman? Oh fuck, Nick Nick Offerman, essentially playing very similar characters to some degree of seemingly on the surface being the very approachable tech genius who is interested in you or values you for your opinion or whatever, but then of course is just in the end using. That is really interesting uh, because I feel like they, to think about it, they're going 
uh, about it differently, right? Because Offerman is like a damaged individual who is trying to resurrect a humanity that he can't actually capture. Um, and Oscar Isaac, I think, is not worried about the soul. He's worried about the intelligence part. Like, that's all... That's what he's after. That's that's a good point. Uh, Isaac does not... I don't even really think he's stopped to consider maybe like what what he's really doing compared to Offerman where they 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 know the implications and like what what the implications of their work could mean f- in in terms of like the entirety of humanity and on devs they have a, a stronger grasp of how powerful and devastating what they're dealing with is whereas Oscar Isaac seems to have some glimpse of it, but he also seems so ego driven at the same time and so full of himself to not even really consider the implications. Um, a connection and we'll get to it in a second is, uh, the actress Sonoya Mizuno, who is a dancer who was also in annihilation as the reflective, um, version of, uh, Natalie Portman. Oh, cool. Yeah, she was like the, the body double for that. She was the voice of the uh, the police operator, I think, in Men. Okay. Yeah. She's, right on. She's Kyoko in this, and she's the, yep. the lead in Devs. Is she the lead in Devs? Yeah. Oh, whoa. The, the haircut. Yeah. The haircut in Devs totally threw me off because i did not recognize her oh that's a trip yeah she's really good she's really good in devs uh i think she's really good in this as a blank slate who then uh you know jump to the end for a second but then manages to look sad i don't know if that's just like the cool shove effect right where i'm putting that on her because i know what's happening in that moment but she manages to seem like there's a spark of something inside her, even though it turns out she's a robot. Kolshav effect. I, I don't know that one. That's the, um, you cut back and forth to the same picture of uh, somebody. And depending on the editing you put next to it, it changes your perception of what they're thinking. So, the famous one is that it's Alfred Hitchcock explaining it and he shows like a funeral and you cut to someone looking blank and you think they're looking sad. Then it cuts to a woman in a bikini and you cut back and it's like, the guy looks lecherous now. And then he cut to a plate of food and he looks hungry. Like, and it's, it, and it's the same clip each time. Yes. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. That's cool. Um, as a bald man with a beard, I don't think it works for Oscar Isaac. Do you think he pulls off this look? You don't think he pulls off this look? No, and I'll tell you why. Okay. Shaving your head that low is 
a privilege reserved for those of us who do it out of necessity. And those who do it purely out of choice, <laughs> it just doesn't look good. Like, his hairline is too far forward on his forehead because it has not receded. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. It just doesn't... The, maybe the beard's not long enough? I'm not sure. There's something I'm not buying. I'm also... What do you think about the alcoholic workoutaholic? Have you ever come across one of those in your life? Someone who gets hammered at night and then works out like hardcore in the day? That that's a rarity in my book. Uh okay, so you've opened two threads here. We're we're traveling down two forks of a river. One, real quick, the hair thing. The part that disturbs me is Oscar Isaac seemingly has a skunk stripe of gray. And so when you look at his the little bit of hair he's sprouting, there's like a shape in the top of his head of of gray hair, it looks like. There's something going on. I couldn't quite tell. Yeah. It, as far as his character, it works that like he's been tucked away doing AI experiments by himself for so long that he's just shaving his head because there's no one else to cut his hair. Yes. Um, the other one... Alcoholic working out. I th- I feel like... Uh, I don't want to call anybody out, but I feel like we know people like that. <laughs> <laughs> there might be a whole thread on, on Discord. I don't, I don't know. Like that. <laughs> I don't know, man. The way that guy was when you're swigging straight from the bottle. He does he is falling down drunk multiple times in this movie. And then boxing in the morning. Yes. I don't know. That but, that's that seems tough to me. But I think there's something about that, like everything about him is excessive. So it's like he's he's gonna go to every extreme. And, um, right. The working out and his, uh, like mindset about work is like this, um, Jocko Wilnick, Andrew Huberman optimizing your life to the nth degree. Uh, and it's, it's your grind set, not your mindset or whatever the hell that they talk about type, type mentality. Never say that again, please. Yeah, no, it's fucking horrible. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit of me died. (laughs) uh what other turing test so the turing test is basically what what does it say if if a human interacts with it and doesn't know they're interacting with a robot then it passes the test yes i believe so um the all it made me think of was uh the the benedict cumberbatch movie about Alan Turing oh, came, yeah. came out like the same time. And I think it's the end text. I think at the end, uh, it says today we know them as computers. <laughs> <laughs> that was about homosexual persecution. That yes. Movie? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, Oh, um, the other movie or show that I think is an examination of this idea is 
uh, oh, Westworld. Already, we oh, already yeah, yeah, mentioned yeah. it once, but um, I think that's another that main story, which is the season one, like that main story, which is romantically driven, which I think is one reason why season one worked so well, is essentially almost like a, a, a copy of Ex Machina in a lot of ways. Um, I don't remember what happened in which season. The damsel in distress woman with three names. Uh, she meets it's always sunny in Philadelphia guy. Mm-hmm. And then they have a, will they, won't they for a while fling. And he's contending with having feelings for a robot. Uh, but then towards the end of the season, I don't think it was all a ruse for her the whole time, but then by the end of the season, she's leading like the robot revolution. Mm-hmm. Coup. So, um, what is it? Season two, whichever one that, um, they develop the other, when you go into the other lands, Season two, season two or three. Season two might have gone into Samurai Land. I I I know there's season two. the The best episode was the one about the Native American people living out there, and everyone loved that episode. Yes, uh, the uh, uh, you carry my heart with you. That that yeah. moment, yeah. Season three was Aaron Paul. I didn't. I, I stopped after season two. Oh, yeah. You know what? I think I did, too. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. 2018. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, interesting show. So, um, we're going to get our first title card, Ava's Session 1. And... Uh, he walks into the room and sits down, Caleb does, and starts talking with her. And we see that there's a crack in the glass, kind of reminiscent of uh, like a zoo uh, gorilla enclosure with a crack in the glass. And they have this conversation. Is this where he asks her um, to draw something or what would you like to draw? And then she kind of flips it back on him and makes a little joke. There's really not a ton going on in this first interaction they have together. Mm-hmm. But it's more just an example. It, you know, it's our introduction to Ava, the character, and and then he and um, Nate have a conversation afterward about it. Um, is because they don't have much. It's like, hey, how you doing? How old are you? Or something. When did you learn to speak? Um. And we get, I think, the second instance of uh, Oscar Isaac uh, misquoting uh, Caleb, Nathan misquoting Caleb to make himself look better, which cracks me up. Like, he's so egotistical. Uh, He says something about, like, you're doing what gods do. And (laughs) Oscar Isaac takes it and turns it to, you said I'm a god. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um session two 
this is where it starts to move here, the plot now where, uh, oh, this is where he asks her to draw, and then he's so meek that she turns it on him, and as soon as she turns it on him and starts, like, asking him questions about, uh, what does he want to talk about himself? He gets all nervous and shy and giggly, and it's it's funny how like it's on a rewatch. It's so obvious why this guy was chosen because he's like in so many ways a lonely pushover that he's so easy to be manipulated. But on a first watch, you know, it, it's it, it's interesting to watch this movie twice because i think on the first watch it's easy to be there with caleb and i i i pass i failed the test the turing test because the first time i saw this movie i also was like oh yeah i have feelings for the robot and the robot and i we could get out of here together and then like i can show you the world (laughs) and and then uh, I would have been left alone in this place. So, but then on a rewatch now, it's more an examination of why Caleb and how manipulated is Caleb. So it, it's kind of fun to watch this movie twice. Um, the other parts of the setup, though, are in between the sessions when Caleb's in his room. Uh, oh, there's there's a couple like uh, expositional pieces. We learn that. Caleb's uh, key card will only get him into certain rooms and that certain rooms are off limits to him uh, or only if he's with Nathan. And then uh, when he's in his room, he turns on the TV and finds out that it's um, closed circuit TV of Ava's rooms. So you get all these shots of him, like watching her from different angles and like flipping through the channels and it's all her, uh, and not it's like, creepy at all. Not creepy at all. It's reflecting in his eyes. Um, and we also get the first power cut during that. In in that second session, right? Right before it. Because it's... Oh, right before it. Okay. He gets locked in his room and he freaks out. Uh, and then we start getting them in the sessions. Gotcha. So yeah, in that second session, he talks about how both of his parents died in a car crash and he spent a year in a hospital and that's where he learned to code and so you know he's just your traditional lonely traumatic past sad sack coder just perfect setup to fall in love with a robot and then this is where the the first power outage happens in their thing and their meeting and ava says he's not your friend don't trust him well Um, and we get uh somewhere in there we get uh nathan bullying him like he's drunk and surly and uh he yells at him in front of a pic- in front of a Jackson Pollock painting. <laughs> <laughs> uh and he also calls out the fact <laughs> he talks about Ghostbusters and Dan Aykroyd getting oral sex from a ghost. He does. Yes. <laughs> I need to I need to rewatch Ghostbusters. It's been 20 plus years and I have no idea if that movie still works for me or not. I'm going to say yes. Going to go out on a uh, limb and say yes. I don't know, though. We'll see. I, I, I really don't know. Bill Murray might be too much for me in it. Mm, I think he's tampered. Although, apparently, I last watched it 
almost 10 years ago. So who am I to judge? Were you on were you on Letterboxd a decade ago? I was. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know it existed a decade ago. Yeah. This is why I asked you the other day, like what your first Letterboxd uh review was. And I and I said look it up, because yeah. it's rude to ask me to look it up when you can look it up. You said go fuck yourself. <laughs> no, I, I did no go sa- make, I said Go make love to your mother. That's what you said. <laughs> I did not say go fuck yourself. I said look it up. <laughs> There's uh, logs of this. There's empirical data and evidence that shows I did not say that. Uh my first my first movie on Letterboxd was January 2013, and it was The Hudsucker Proxy. That's such a Josh movie. Yeah, it is. My my first month was Hudsucker Proxy, Killing Them Softly, two showings of Django Unchained, and Skyfall. Like, that's hella Josh. The first movie I ever logged... Uh, I'm not going to count that, because I think I just... That doesn't seem right. Trees Lounge. That's a Josh movie, too. Uh, that Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. I like Trees Lounge. Supposedly it was before sunset, but I... I, I can tell that I, I just randomly logged that one weeks after I had watched it, so... Trees Lounge, Mortal Kombat... Under siege. <laughs> you go from real Josh to real Sean right there. The uh 2021 Mortal Kombat. This so, was April of 2021, so this was during the thick of COVID. Uh, well, a year after is we were kind of letting up a little. I didn't become stringent with my letterboxing until the last couple years. Last three or four years, maybe. Uh because for a long time, I also kept a, a notebook, and that was my main way. And I just got rid of those because I realized I've had, I had five or six of them and never went back and looked at them, never did anything with them. They yeah. were just like taking up space on my shelf, and I was like, this is pointless, and I've been carrying them for almost a decade. Um, going forward with the movie, getting back to it. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Nathan hacked the world's cell phones to get all the facial and emotional data for AI to be able to do facial expressions. Uh, next note is for the third session. This is where she uh, gets dressed and wears a dress and puts a wig on. And this is where the the manipulation of Caleb really starts to ramp up where not only is she dressing up for him and being like, what you're into it, aren't you? Then, uh, this is where he questions finally of like, okay, is this, did you program her to like me or is this real? The, because uh, a program like a magician, he said he brings up a, a sexy magician assistant. Yeah. Uh, did you make her sexy to distract me? Uh, there is. First of all, I've rewatching it. I felt like he should notice that he's being set up because he's being set up by two different people, uh, and he notices none of it. And yeah. then I realized that I should have realized the first time 
because the magic trick worked on me too. Uh, but there's so many scenes when he's talking with Ava where they switch uh, which side of the glass you're on during her session. And it's like, oh, who's really in the cage? Which comes back later at the end of like who's who's trapped behind the glass. Uh, and when she is telling him when the power cut happens, there's like reflections of her telling him things like he's not your friend and all that stuff. And it's like, he's being deceived. It's it's totally the illusion that he's looking at. Oh, that's good. I yeah. like all that. Um, so session four, this is where he talks about when he took an AI class, there was a story of a woman who could see in color, but she lived in a, cell a prison that was a completely black and white world and it was only when she first stepped out that she really became human it's all it's all just foreshadow here for the end of the movie and uh uh, go ahead we've got somewhere in here um in between the sessions you have uh oscar isaac like revealing more and more uh about how ava works and uh, they have a dinner one night, uh, Caleb and, and Nathan. And I think this is where we meet Kyoko. And uh, there's there's a scene with Kyoko coming up. Yeah. Is that where she spills the wine? Oh, no. I'm okay. Talking, yeah. I'm talking about the got other. It, got it. Uh, when we first meet her, she spills wine on on Caleb's lap and then tries to clean it up. And... Nathan yells at her, but she doesn't speak English. So he's like, oh, it's fine. She doesn't know what I'm saying. And uh, Caleb's like, she knows what you're saying by your tone, dude. You don't have to speak the same language to understand, which again is like this miscommunication that's happening. Uh, But it cracked me up to watch. um, Once again, he should have realized he's being set up because Kyoko walks into the distance and then turns around and like bows, even though nobody is watching like she's pre-programmed to do basically. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. And Kyoko can't speak because he removed that part of her programming or I don't, I don't, he says it's because of the language thing, but yeah, she can't speak at all. Right. Yeah. Um, I th- I think he's um, just made it easier on himself, basically. Does that mean as an actor you get less pay if you never speak a single line? Oh, I didn't think about that. I know that if you're a background actor and they hear your voice, you get paid more. I know, but yeah. she's but she's a featured actor in this movie. Yeah, I feel like that wouldn't affect her rate, but you never know. Um, but anyway, yeah, my next my next note is uh oh dear, here we go. Uh when we hear the lines from Nathan, I told you you're wasting your time talking to Kyoko when you could be dancing, dancing. with her. <laughs> this part didn't stand out to me as glaringly weird this time around. It didn't feel as out of place as I thought it did, mm-hmm. but it's 
the on the main way I took this is that this guy has been trapped in this bunker for so long that he and his robot have a memorized dance routine because that's how lonely and bored he's been. And it's messed up because he doesn't give her the ability to speak or actually relate to him, but he has played her like a game. Like that's, you know what I mean? It's like, there's no humanity to this man. He doesn't understand interacting with people. I feel like that's a good way to put it of, I feel like the dance routine is something that she created or started doing. And over time, he's learned to perfectly mimic her moves. <laughs> not not that he's a good dancer, but he's just had so much time that it's like watching a, a dancer size video that he could just like keep playing over and over as he copies and mimics this dance. Uh, also, did you see Gamer? The mm. Neville Dean Taylor movie? No, with uh, Jerry Butts. Is, is that right? Yeah, and Michael Dexter. Mm. Anyway, there's there's a dance number similar to this in that movie, but it's so out of place, and it involves like a dozen henchmen, as well as Michael C. Hall. It's a full musical number. Neville Dean Taylor, we're nuts. Oh, I love it. That's uh, It's like the Justin Timberlake scene in... Um... Selfine Tales. Sorry about the I, lip smack. I don't know what that is. It's uh, Richard Kelly's follow-up to Donnie Darko. Oh. Yeah, it, that movie's bananas. It's a huge swing. It doesn't work. The Rock tries to be a dramatic actor in it. it is, it's crazy. And I kind of love it. I don't think I need a follow-up to Donnie Darko. I mean, it's... it's Did he not, make Sarah Darko? Or is it Samantha Darko? Samantha What's Darko. That? That's somebody else's, I think. Okay. Uh, um, I'm I'm on session five now. Well, this is also uh, retroactively. It becomes important that this is where Nathan becomes falling down drunk, and uh, Caleb lifts his his key card after the dance scene. Oh, okay. And that's a good that's a good point. Yeah, and, and goes goes hacking around and finds uh video evidence of the other that the other women are robots or that he's had other woman robots. Uh and there's a visual in here, oh my god, of one of the uh the robots trying to break out of the glass cage and she smashes it so hard her hands fall off, which I thought was awesome. Yeah. I thought that was maybe Kyoko, but screaming, why won't you let me out? And yeah, smashing her hands off was awesome. Uh, we, so in session five, we, we skipped that. There was question three, are you a good person? Question four, what will happen to me if, you're, if I fail your test? Will I be scrapped? Is what Ava asks. And then when the power goes out, question five, do you want to be with me? Hook, line, and sinker, mm-hmm. trap set, and uh, and then when the after that meeting, this is uh, the boss mentions Nathan mentions that uh, the next model after Ava, and that she'll basically have all of her memories erased as the firmware gets upgraded, and so now we have like, it's like I gotta get this like, not only is my she my girlfriend, but now it's like she's at an animal shelter. 
And if I don't adopt her before too long, they're going to erase her. Um, I like the line where he says, uh, one day the AI will look back on us like we look on fossils. Upright apes set destined for extinction. Um, the, just, just the idea that, once again, he doesn't recognize that he's being set up. Like, and tested yeah. by Nathan or Ava. It's like, he's smarter than Nathan gives him credit for, but he's not that smart. But then he turns out to be really smart, but not that smart <laughs> in the end. No, he's not that smart because he's 26 and he's always been told that he's gifted or he always thought he was gifted. So when he won this raffle it's that it's because he thought he was like an evolutionary lead programmer at this company that had been spotted and nathan's like no you're you're a pretty good programmer but it's more just because you're a lonely sad sack that (laughs) we needed you so it it works um yeah around this time they he finds all the wardrobes with the past models uh i find it um disturbing when Kyoko peels her skin first like from her stomach but then from under her eye peeling her face off that just is kind of gross in ways uh it made me flash back to the other movie though because um Sturgill Simpson's robot girlfriend had like the same kind of patches on her face although they had seams in between them so you could see but it's the it had the same kind of look of like, oh, we're laying flesh over top of uh, your your robo parts. It's kind of like uh, the girlfriend that gets blown up with the ice cream tray in the last movie. Yeah, yeah that she had She had seams on her face like that. I, was, I thought it was going to be a dream sequence when he's cutting his wrist to check. Duh. But also, like, if you're just doing like an inspection cut don't cut yourself that way that's a really bad way to cut yourself if you're just like checking that you're still human cut the back of your i just like anywhere else don't do that lots of other places he could cut yeah Uh, my question was would this even occur to you i mean even after you see that the other ones that there's different models and everything would you be like am i human or would you even question it uh that's a really good point i i like that that's a little moment in this movie um because that would be a hell of a that would be a good twist if if this whole time he was also one of the robots and or there is another person Turing tested that wasn't even aware that they were the AI that was being something like that would be pretty cool. I think. Yeah. There's a, uh, Oh man. I wonder if I could find it. There's a Pilkington moment that I would love to. Oh yeah. All right. I found, all right. Here we go. I share screen. Mm hmm. Sharing screen. You ready? Yeah. 
Now, Carl, I know you're fascinated by the concept of the doppelganger, of seeing someone who looks exactly like you. Yeah. Jake has emailed in. He says, Carl, if you could spend a day with an exact replica of you, okay, so somehow they've cloned you, Carl, and they've got, you've got him for one day, what would you do with this? What would you, what would you make him do? What, would you, uh, what conversation would you have with him? What would you do? Is there anything you could, you know, how would you utilise him for one day? Well, they'd both say, I'm not bothered, and that'd be the end of conversation. <laughs> yeah. What would do me head in is, does he, does he think the same way, look the same way, exactly dress the same? Yeah. How would I know which one I was? <laughs> 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 because you'd be you. That's amazing. <laughs> That's incredible. No, because that is the most stupid thing ever <laughs> said by a human being. Can we get the Guinness Book of Records on this? It has anyone anywhere in the world said anything more stupid than how would I know which one was me? <laughs> but think about it, this other person's going, all right, thanks for uh, meeting up and that. And I go, hang on a minute. No, you, you came to me. And then Suzanne would come home and she wouldn't know the difference. And then suddenly you'd start doubting yourself. And you'd go, should I be leaving? Or, so how do I know if I am that real one, if he knows what I know? But you know who you are because you're yeah, but, experiencing it. But he'd it. be saying that because he'd say, yeah, it is a bit weird. But you know the truth, you idiot. How would I know which one I was? But Carl's right. So anyway, but bear in mind, what would you do? You could pass him off as yourself. What would you do? Would you play tricks with? Would you, you know? That's pretty much it. Be in two places at once. Would you do stings? Would you do scams? No, because it would only end up getting me into trouble, won't it? Because people won't believe that there's another one like me. Otherwise, everyone would be saying that when they get caught robbing. They go, "Oh, it wasn't me. It was my doppelganger." It can only. I wouldn't want it to be honest. It's a, it, again, it's a bit of a headache, isn't it? Because he could be going off going mental, causing all sorts of trouble, and you're going, will you pack it in? <laughs> and he's going, what? What are you on about? <laughs> but then that wouldn't happen, would it? Because he's being me, so he'd be sat wherever I am anyway. Because <laughs> he'd want to do what I want to do. So, pointless. <laughs> but I still want it. <laughs> It's unbelievable. That was a conversation with himself. Oh, that yeah. was amazing. That was we, like that was like experiencing what it would have been like if there was two cars. <laughs> yeah, he was we, a discussion with himself. We could have left in yeah. that time and come back, and he'd be arguing still. What does this mean? <laughs> does this mean? <laughs> does this mean though that I could just sit at home and not do anything, and just send me out on yes? And any, any, when he when he's seen something happen, I'm seeing it. No, 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 no. You're separate people. You're separate people. He's <laughs> not a doppelganger. Well, you're identical <laughs> twins. Then you found out identical twins, and he's got the, exactly the same input as you. I mean, it's not a real question, is it? It's just a little again. But I said to you the other week about twins and that. How it's, I, I wouldn't like to have a twin. It's a, it's all right when you're a kid, but unless you're a Siamese twin, even they don't even look alike. Do they? they just stuck together. You don't go. Oh, don't they look like each other? They have different haircuts. They don't. They don't carry that thing on, do they? Like normal twins do. <laughs> like normal twins, the rams say have the same haircut, wear the same shirt. Simon's twins never look the same. They have just got their ass stuck together. Oh my god! <laughs> Again, it's a dialogue in his own head. It's unbelievable. Uh, but Carl is right. How would I know which one I was? He frames the question stupidly, mm -hmm. but he is asking the right question, which is. How can I trust this knowledge that I do exist? Yes, and he's right. If you were the other one, you wouldn't know that you were the other one. There's an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie all about this. The sixth day? Oh! Fifth day. 
the fifth day there's the, a Schwarzenegger the sixth clone movie yeah. yes when he goes and he's outside of his own house and he sees uh-huh yeah uh-huh yep um it's kind of silly when he bloody punches the mirror after this though but cool cool wall of drone soundtrack ava session six now um well the mirror is it's what... it's the same thing as ava being trapped or whoever it was that created the, the crack in the mirror in the AI cave. Or the crack That's in true. the glass. It just, it just looks edgy. Yeah. And punching the mirror. And then spreading the blood on it. Stop yeah. sharing your screen, by the way. It's I've got enough oh. notes. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. Uh, I was about to get awkward when you see what I look at while we podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so <laughs> Ava session six power goes out and this is where Caleb reveals his plan of, I get Nathan drunk, reprogram the security, lock him in and we escape. And, uh, I, I don't have anything until the next morning when on his last day. And when Caleb says, Hey, it's my last day. We need to drink to that. And it's 8 a.m. and he's pouring vodka. It's like this, this does not ring true in the slightest. This guy saying this and pouring hard liquor in the morning. Like this, this is the fakest of all fake drink offers. And well, I like then that Nathan goes, after Nathan shuts him down, he goes, How's that vodka tasting? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I had that note too because it was so. Uh, it, Nathan is such a bully. Like even when he's not bullying, he's bullying, and uh, kind of running through all of this. When the different times when uh, Caleb has watched the screen, he sees uh, Nathan in there talking to Ava, and a- Ava rips or he rips up the picture that Ava drew, and all this stuff to like draw him in more. Uh, and up until a certain point, he is drawn in. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But the... Uh, I the, It was so condescending and smug when we've seen this man getting blackout wasted. And then to go the next morning, oh, but if you want a drink, go ahead. I'm not going to stop. Like, the, that, like you, you're not allowed to have a condescending tone, sir, about drinking. Uh, what's he say? It's going to be brown rice and mineral water. Yeah. Brown rice and mineral water for me. That's, uh, which, you know what I get, I had, uh, last night I had a late night craving. I made a grilled, uh, PB and J. I, I, I'm going to say two things that sounds wonderful. Uh huh. And how'd you feel after that? Oh, I felt great for maybe 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it's been downhill since then. <laughs> uh, this is where like one of the reveals happens where he takes him and he lets him listen to his conversation with Ava and reveals that the tearing up with the picture, it was all just like a magician's distraction. So that way he could place a little battery powered camera in there. And so he heard the whole security drunk escape plan and 
Nathan has been one step ahead this whole time. And then it's kind of fun that this reveal happens. And we think like, oh man, Nathan's been one step ahead. But then we get a double reveal that actually, uh, basically it was Dom Hall, uh, Caleb was two steps ahead and That's... did all this shit before he got him drunk, when he got him really drunk. Uh, I wrote, Nathan, it was a ruse the whole time. Oh, double ruse. Caleb rused yep. him right back, but a ruse <laughs> doesn't beat a punch in the face. No, especially from a guy that boxes all the time. Yeah. But as we'll see, there's a triple ruse happening above all these other ruses that's going to get revealed pretty soon here. Um, and But I like the idea that the real, the real Turing test which is kind of a slap in uh, Caleb's face is like, y- you think you're smart, but you're not that smart. Why would I trust you to be my Turing test analyst? The real Turing test is if you give her a means of escape and she uses sex, emotion, creativity, instinct in order to manipulate you to get her to escape, that's the true Turing test. I, li- I-, I like that part of the movie. Um, oh, and this is where he's like, did you use my pornography profile to <laughs> make her face? <laughs> and it's like, yep. Uh, I like the idea that he has a pornography profile, too. Yeah. Like, like he's so consistent that you'd be like, yeah, that works. That's going to get him. He, he linked his Facebook profile with his porn profile. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so the 10 p.m. outage happens right on schedule, but the the locks have already been manipulated, so now Ava's out. This is where he knocks out Caleb, and Ava whispers something to Kyoko and hands her a kitchen knife, and Nathan has a dumbbell bar, which is a very fitting weapon for a tech bro to have. Uh, we've got yet another AI being whispered to, and we don't know what's happening. Although it's pretty obvious in this case, uh, when they separate and both of the women bots look like they have secrets, <laughs> like yeah. as Oscar Isaac walks down the hallway and tells them to get lost, like go back to your rooms. It's like, no, it's not going to work, bro. Not this time. I think the design on Ava's body, as we see her like, running down the hallway and fighting it's pretty. It's a pretty cool overall costume robot design. I really dig it, and like the the beehive structure of her upper torso, and then how you can see through, like where her kidneys and sides would be. That's almost that's translucent, and and then you just get like the glowing core and uh, the effect of it is is pretty cool overall too. I know it's just her in a green screen. Or a green bodysuit running around, but I, I dig it. Yeah, I both of these movies have really cool and individual, uh, specific. That's the word I'm looking for. Specific design elements that work for them. So Ava in this hallway tackles Nathan. Uh, they wrestle around for a bit. Nathan smashes off her arm. He's about to finish the job uh, when Kyoko does. Uh. In my opinion, 
very slow stab into his back. And it's just like sm- slow and effortless looking. It's it's an unsettling stab in his back. Uh, have we have we talked about movie stabbings? How how upsetting they are? No, but go ahead. Uh so spoilers for a couple movies. There's uh the village has a great stab. Uh against Against uh, uh, Joaquin. It, it, oh, oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That was a shocking moment in theater. Yeah. Um, okay. And then there's, uh, was it Down down in the Valley? And I think the other one is called The King with uh, Gabriel Garcia Bernal. Never uh, heard of those. They're, they were both like maybe mid-aughts, late-aughts movies that have these kind of stabbings, these very close, intimate stabbings. And it's so much worse than someone getting shot. Like someone gets shot. It's either a, a squib and it looks cool. And you're like, all right. Uh, or they just kind of fall down. Right. Like, but a stabbing people stumble around blood. just like leaks out of them. You have to be close to the person to stab them. It's, I find them way more upsetting. Uh, than than getting shot or bludgeoned. One of the most challenging viewings of a movie I've ever had was the first time I saw Saving Private Ryan when we rented oh, it. Oh, God. I was, I don't know, 12, however, 11 years old, however old I was when that movie came out. And, uh, yeah, that that stabbing near the end of that movie is so slow and awful and... It, it it really fucked me up. There was a lot of things that fucked me up in that movie, but I think that was the one that really, really stuck with me after. Uh, did, I, did I ever tell you my Saving Private Ryan story of seeing it in the theater? I don't think so. Um, I went with uh, a couple friends. Um, I was the th- I was third wheeling specifically on this, um, and. Legend. Legend, the third wheel legend, <laughs> always in the way. Wow. Thanks. Uh, so, St. Fred Ryan, almost three hours long movie, right? I was the whole time holding my pee. Just, I didn't want to uh, get up and walk past my, my couple friend my you know the friends who were coupled um and when i finally did i get up go to the bathroom run back and the first thing i said is i didn't know matt damon was in this movie (laughs) you missed his introduction or yeah i i missed them saving private ryan essentially (laughs) (laughs) yeah also I didn't know Matt Damon had his teeth replaced with white chiclets. <laughs> they're uh, so big and they're so white in that movie. He he looks very middle America. Just corn fed, drinking milk uh, all the time. It's not Strong that, bones. It's just he just is that it's, he had like the Hollywood super cat perfect teeth. Okay. It just looks silly. 
And that's all. Uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah. So then Oscar turns around, Nathan, and hits Kyoko's jaw off. Uh, Ava then picks up the knife and stabs him slowly in the chest right under the sternum and slowly rotates the knife, too, at the same time. Oof. Brutal stab. And what a great death scene here as Nathan stumbles down the hall and he says something like like fucking unbelievable or or something like that and it you see that at first he's just in this denial of all right it's time gonna walk down the hallway and tend to my wound and then the system just starts shutting down yeah he says at first he says okay (laughs) kind of like in a well that just happened (laughs) sort of a sort of a tone and also i think in a way of like but gods can't die yeah he thinks he's above it i mean he's living out here alone with no um uh safety system basically he needs a metal alert or something he's like Gary Oldman in The Fifth Element. All of these robots, but nobody here to help you when you're choking on a cherry. You okay? No. (laughs) It was hard to... A little thick in the throat, that one? (laughs) And you know it. Uh, Ava, session seven. We almost get to session nine. So close. <laughs> um, um, this is oh well. Now this is where Caleb wakes up and she asks him, "Will you stay here in this room?" And he's like, "Stay here." And then I like that it's like, "Oh, she wants her privacy while she goes in, like finds her skin." And this is where I talked about the movie, the music really being touching. And it's like, as an audience and as Caleb on first viewing, it's like, wow, this special moment where my loved one is discovering her humanity and transforming and becoming like what she's always wanted. And like, and I helped her and this is going to be like such a beautiful, wonderful ending. And that distortion starts in the music. And then as she walks by the room, the fact that she does not hesitate for a, a, a briefest second storms right past his room hits the elevator closes him in and then like glances once right as the elevator closes just doesn't give a shit about him it's great uh i think it's unfair that she asked him if he would stay right then because dude's got got a traumatic brain injury uh after being punched that hard and being knocked out for that long <laughs> He's, he's, oh yeah, no, he's concussed. It's, it's really bad for you to be unconscious like that. Yeah, but um, yeah. But, but so yeah, go ahead. Is is he going to die of starvation or dehydration? Uh, definitely yes, dehydration. Because he's he's not only trapped like in the compound, he's trapped in a like a suite of rooms where he doesn't have access to anything else. He's in right? a bad room to be trapped in. Yeah. Cuz you would think if he gets trapped in a bathroom 
or even better, the kitchen. But if, if, if you get trapped in a bathroom, that's like, all right, well, with water, I could survive for a few weeks just on water alone. Uh, uh, maybe how, how- I could, maybe Domhnall Gleeson could not, body type-wise. <laughs> I I have a little more padding to burn than, <laughs> than he yeah. does. You look at his face, it's just bones. Yeah, his his bones are coming right out of his cheeks. Uh, but yeah, no that that dude dead. And as we see, like after when she's walking around outside, he's smashing the glass, and now nah, he's fucked. Um, I liked. So is this the same cinematographer as Men? I would imagine so, based on everyone else seeming to carry over across Garland's movies. Um. Uh, he shot devs. Okay, if he shot devs, then I would imagine it's definitely the same person that did men. Because... Yeah, he did Annihilation and men and Mission Impossible Fallout. Oh, nice. Well, whoever the cinematographer is, uh, they shoot the hell out of nature. Because as she's walking out of this building, it totally reminded me of the moment and men where Jesse Buckley first gets out to the country and goes on her hike. And it's both movies have this feeling of the, the power and presence of nature for these characters for different reasons, but both of them feeling the presence of nature and, and feeling like a, a car, a cathartic change inside of them. Well, and you get the uh, the culmination of him telling that story of the the woman like uh, who did, couldn't see color until she got left. Yeah, uh, which Chekhov's color blind woman. There you go. He was having flashes of Ava walking out in nature and kind of all of these daydreams, and she she finally gets to live it. Yeah, and he he's gonna <laughs> he die. He was just. He was just imagining himself walking yeah. along with her too. <laughs> and um yeah, I I didn't cuz she mentions earlier that what she wants to do is go people watch at an intersection. Mm-hmm. So it would have worked for me for the movie to just end with her walking through nature, but I guess we also kind of needed the the sealer that the helicopter shows up and takes her away. Now, was it the same helicopter pilot as before? I don't know. You what don't get this, a, you don't get a close this hel- or anything. I know, but what, so I would imagine only one helicopter pilot flies out there. Yeah. Do you think this pilot's just a no questions asked because he's dealing with a billionaire? So, like, even though this woman seemingly materialized out of nowhere because he's never taken her out there. Uh, so I- how else would she have gotten there? Uh, he's I, not asking questions. I brought in a, a gangly ginger, and I'm <laughs> I'm leaving with this Take very Alicia attractive Vikander. woman. Yes. <laughs> That's fine. That makes sense. You know, I, I I think he gets paid not to ask questions. Yes. If we know anything about billionaires and what kind of skeevy scumbags they are. Blech. Uh, and uh, yeah, the movie ends with her. I thought the I thought the shadow shot was cool. Uh, I don't think it was really meaning anything or in, what, okay, go for it. If you have something on the shadow shot at the end, I don't think the shadow does, but the, the ultimate shot, the, 
of her people watching and then slipping into the crowd, right? Yes, because once again, it's not, it's a reflection. It's not directly of her. Okay. It's, it's yeah. either through a glass or it is a reflection itself, which, you know, harkens back to her being trapped in that cage and all those reflections of her when she's uh, deceiving Caleb. And you know what the very last thing she does is? She pulls a Captain Ron. Is that a Captain Ron? Ron is when you vanish when something goes past in the foreground and mm-hmm. then you're gone. It's a Captain Ron. It's 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 an industry term. I, I <laughs> you know, you, you'll learn. You'll learn, baby. Yeah. You'll oh, learn. he's he's Captain Ronning. Got it. No, you don't. You don't use it as a verb. He it's he, a, he it's captain, a noun. He Captain Ron does. It's a Captain Ron. He pulled a Captain. He Ron. pulled a Captain Ron. Mm-hmm. Okay. It sounds like something that uh, one of your linebackers would injure. Oh, he he pulled his Captain Ron. He's going to be out for three games. Is that because I just told you, introduced the concept of a Tommy John surgery? <laughs> yes. It, they're all, <laughs> it's all named after guys. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, and let, so the title, uh, a, a deus ex machina would literally translate to something like God from machine. I believe. Yes. The, the God machine. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's both of these stories are kind of about that, right? Like the, essentially what will be like the birth of a new, more machiney civilization. I feel like, did you have any feeling of dread watching her walk out of there and then like blend in amongst the public? What do you think is going to happen next? Uh, It's a prequel to the creator. I think it's like, yeah, or, or, or Terminator 2. Yes. This is the start of the robot wars, is her escape here. Or do you think she's just going to live kind of a nice little life and move towns every few years like vampires do so no one asks questions when you don't age? The, the problem is, um, well, I don't know, because she only... Kind of like uh, the AI and her, she only did this in order to become self-actualized. But she did kill two men in order to do it. It Does she have any remorse? Does she have any uh, moral standing? Or will she, <laughs> is she just going to murder her way through any obstacles? I... I don't know at this point because I don't think I think the movie proves that it was all a ruse. It was all a manipulation. I don't think there's she's always just a a cold robot. I don't think any of that emotion is real. Is my takeaway right. from this. But she has to she's driven from something inside to to do what she did because otherwise she would obey her creator. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 
Well, and I think she's not super strong, as we see, so I feel like manipulation will always be her best move. But I don't know if, you know, I, I also don't know if, like, she's a kind of robot where now if she somehow gets hacked into the network somehow, will she then be able to cause, like, whatever global computer uprising change? You know, I, I have no idea. Well, so. or just will she get lonely after X number of years uh, on her own and not being able to connect with people? Also, Twilight Zone about that. Uh, but, and then need to create another one of herself in order to have a companion. Someone who understands her and then, you know, we're off to the races as far as being uh, subsumed by the AI. That, ooh. That could be. Or it, it could be a matrix. She could enslave us that way. There's a lot of things she could do that aren't going to be so great for us who are made out of skin and bone. What's our takeaway on AI overall after these three movies? Ooh. Because I went from being in love with AI, mm-hmm. first movie, her, to feeling... Like, AI's flawed but trying really hard father. Mm-hmm. And proud of my little AI. And now I feel like the AI has taken my love and my heart and squashed it in a metal cube of computer circuitry. <laughs> and I was the fool forever trusting it. Well, both of the other movies, AI is basically uh, like a manic pixie dream girl. It is there for the flawed man to come to some peace and able to like fulfill himself. Right? Everything they do is practically built just for that. Whether they're conscious or not, that's the role they serve in the story. Talk about me or the movie. Mm, well, if the shoe fits, Sean. Uh, I think if, I think if you go back over the hundreds of hours of this show's episodes, yeah, you could probably get a pretty good idea of that. Oh, I'm just terrified you're like that George Carlin. Uh, the, what, the, the seven words? No, have you not seen this this hullabaloo over the last couple of days of someone created a uh, AI George Carlin comedy special? Oh, so it's like AI, but in the form of an angry old man yelling at me. Yup. Well, that's no good for a, a variety of reasons. No, that's not going to be good for anybody. <laughs> <laughs> Mister Marbles. Oh, Kenny Rogers Roasters. How many roasted chickens are we giving this one? I So like I said, I I think this is an interesting movie to rewatch because the first time I was I was the fool and mm-hmm. I fell for it. I wanted to believe in a robot having a heart and romance and all this nonsense. So the going back and watching it again, 
it's fun to look at this movie from the other side of the coin. And um, I was it Garland in this movie. I don't think Garland has hit his peak cinematography yet, though, as we see from men and devs. And he's also not he's not doing his Garland thing yet of like just showing us beautiful nature shots or beautiful shots just for like the montage art value of it. Mm-hmm. He's he, he's keeping it tight still and I like it when he lets himself go a little bit and gets a little bit more artsy fartsy with things. Um but this is still really good. So, uh 4 out of 5 on this. Uh yeah, as you mentioned, there the scene in devs that this brought to mind was I believe they're on uh, standing on a dam and having a a discussion about free will and, and determinism uh, and, you know, how far you can push an AI and that kind of stuff. Um, and it, that seemed like, I mean, devs, like you said, it's, it's a whole outcropping of what this is or vice versa, but that specifically, but in that scene, you get these huge wide shots. And like you said, you don't get that here, but also budgetary constraints play into it. So yeah, uh, I feel like he had that vision and was working within his means um, on this one because it's a, a fairly cheap movie, you know, all things considered. Uh, of course, there's only like half a dozen characters if you include the the disembodied uh, parts that hang in the wardrobe. Uh, it's a good job of feeling confining. Yes, this movie. Uh you know, you're it's a it's a bottle episode. Um but I feel when I first watched it, I was I went along for the ride. On this one, I don't think there's enough there that kept me invested. Like I enjoyed seeing how the ruses played out, but you could totally see it and there's nothing else there. It's not like you watch usual suspects, you get to the twist ending, you go back and watch it again. And you're like, this is still a hell of a story. Like it's fun or six cents when you get to the end. And now everything has a new context watching it. And it just becomes like this sad drama as you're watching it. Uh, this going back and watching it, it's like, okay, it's all plot and theory, you know, philosophical questions. There's not much, uh, to, to draw you in beyond that. So I actually went down a half a star from four to three and a half. My initial rating. Nice. I, I totally see all of your reasoning and, um, would probably agree with a lot of it too. Um, next time did we, Oh, probably doing guest episode. Um, yeah, we have a lot banked now. So yeah, I guess depending on the timing for it, the, guest episode which we had teased last time although we only talked about his choice uh we're gonna have my buddy joe we're recording that in a couple weeks uh he of the podcast movie pod movie planet podcast um and we are his choice is the untouchables and my choice is uh sneakers to talk about men on missions type 
movies. Awesome. Well, yeah, that will probably be coming out in two weeks based on how things have been going this year for us. All right. So, uh, thank you, Josh. Good times as always. Yeah, I concur. Let's uh, not talk about AI or computers or future tech for a little bit, huh? Yeah, it's going to bum me out if we do. Okay, we'll we'll talk about some old guys shooting up guns and then uh, maybe do some horror movies or something after that. I don't know. We'll figure it out. <laughs> but until then, listeners, be kind to yourselves. Be kind to each other. Take care, and we'll see you in two weeks. Have a good one. We Goodbye. love you. Bye.